0: We're about to go forth with our call to worship and this reading of Psalms 150. You can read it and recite it together. And then immediately after that we're going to go ahead and go into our service session upon today. And we're all going to recite Psalms 150 together and it reads, praise you the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firm of his powers, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him for sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the softening heart. Praise him with the trembling dance. Praise him with the strange instruments and organs. Praise him on the loud cymbals. Praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Come on, clap your hands all over the building If you get ready to go forward for this time. Amen. All right. Amen. 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 At this time, no further ado. I just want to do quick remarks. I want to first thank. Uh, the Congress of the staff, everyone who has worked, everyone who's here on today. I want to make sure I give a mention to my wife for going over and beyond, for helping, making sure his comes are to passing today. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I want to really thank for uh, uh, Mr. Brandy, uh, Pastor David, for stepping out, for going over and beyond today. I really appreciate that, and it's a great honor to have Pastor David Ridgway here on today. He is a, thankful yeah. a faithful servant. Yes! thank you all, me, and everything. I appreciate this man of God and all that he has done. I really appreciate him. So this is what I want to do. I just want to congratulate him for being elevated to uh, being a pastor now over there. as so one of the Catholic pastors over there at 2nd Ebenezer. Uh, yeah, she served faithfully under Bishop Edward like, van I really appreciate him and all that he has done and I love him for who he is. Uh, I know his wife won't be watching me soon, so I gotta say salute to her. Uh, I miss you, so just, I, I wanted to see your face, but that's that's a whole other subject and a whole other time. And when I see her on site, it's gonna be a problem. It's gonna be a problem. But anyway, so everyone, I'd like for everyone to come. Uh, well, clap your hands as Pastor David Ridgeway he will come at this time and leading us uh, in our worship, uh, well, our workshop experience on today in our service session. Pastor David Ridgway. Come on, clap your hands. Hey, Amen. That
1: was good enough to keep a heart for Jesus. One more you up this morning and started joining your way. Let you know, we just thank God for this wonderful day. Um, before I get started, I just want to um, thank um Carl Honey for yeah. just first of all having the vision of Congress of Service.
0: Not give up. keep on the wall, come up with innovative and new strategies to move this Congress of Service ministry forward. So thank you, Elder Honey, and uh, I want to thank Bishop Scott for allowing us to come here.
1: Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk for a few moments um, about Serving in the second chair. Serving in the second chair. Um, We're living in a society and culture where it's all about me, myself, and I. Uh, It's all about individualism. If you cannot get the position that you want, you will go and create that position. Uh, if you cannot get what you need, you will go and buy it and purchase it. If you don't look no if you don't like what you look like, you will go and do and purchase everything that you possibly can to look what you think you should look like. The world seems to suggest that they are against anti-establishment and anti-order. We don't trust anybody in high positions from politicians to preachers. People want their own. And what I've discovered is that we live in a selfish society because the reality is No one wants to be a column. People are fearful these days because some people are not confident in who they are. They're not clear. They do not care. They don't really realize the importance of being in a second chair position. And I want you to lean in a little closer to our conversation this morning because everybody wants the spotlight but nobody wants to serve. Yeah. Yeah. Matthew 23 and 11 says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Who are you willing to put first? That means naturally you stepping back uh, and taking the second place. Uh, when I was growing up in college, uh, I used to be a waiter at a restaurant, and what I realized when I was at the restaurant is that what makes a restaurant really goes around wasn't the food; it was actually the service. Wow. So if we provided, if we provided great service, that lets us know that we got a reward at the end. Now sometimes the reward at the end, we, when we did good service, we got little to it. And sometimes when we did bad service, we got great to But I thank God that when I serve a true and living God, I know that there is a reward after this. Yeah, and I, I want you to lean in a little closer this morning because we need to understand that serving the second chair Is beneficial. Uh, That's why um, the first chair is significant. Uh, There are many first chairs in the Bible that rely upon strength of the second chair. God used Joseph to be second in command over all of Egypt because there was a famine in the land. Uh, Moses had an understudy, Joshua. While Moses was leading the people, Joshua was leading the troops to fight the war. There always need a second chair. The second chair is needed because we are facing burnout amongst our first chair leaders. Uh, Barner's study suggests uh, that it November 2021, that 35% of pastors felt as though they were burnt out. They they wanted to give up on the ministry. I believe that one of the reasons why is because we need people to serve in the second chair. Yeah, yeah. The first chair commitment is to cast vision, to preach, and to teach. Uh, The second chair is to make sure that the vision of the first chair comes to pass. Yeah, second chair is a place watch this, of growth and development. Yeah, it's primarily preparation ground for where God is trying to take you. Yeah, I've worked at uh, several sectors. I've worked in a service industry. I've I've worked at an automotive supplier. I've worked uh, at a government. I've, I've worked in ministry and the one thing that I've learned is that whether you a CEO or a pastor, you cannot do it all. Yeah, yeah, they have second chair leaders to help them carry the weight of the organization. Yeah, if an organization or churches are going to grow, if you, churches are going to thrive, you're going to need ministry leaders. You're going to need chairpersons. You're going to need executive board members and a team that can help you direct the operations of the church. Yeah, there so are many, so many things that can be learned from the second chair. Because fellowship is the audition for leadership. <laughs> yeah, fellowship is the audition for leadership. If you cannot follow, you cannot lead. Yeah, the question that raises support is who is going to follow you? Yeah, so one of the reasons why I follow Elder Honey's vision For the Congress of Service is because I watched him serve his pastor. I've watched him serve his pastor outside of Detroit. I saw him serve his pastor inside of Detroit. I saw him serve, and so that lets me know that I can serve a person because he serves his leader. So a question that comes to mind, what do people say when they see you? Do you carry uh, the heart of your leader? A second chair uh, is needed to serve the church, to fulfill the assignment and realize your dreams. Um, You may ask a question today, how can I really uh, lift out this second chair Mentality. The first thing uh, that I see that you must uh, be committed to the second chair. Yeah, you must be committed to the second chair. Uh, The number one job of the second chair is to ultimately make sure that the first chair leader is successful. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Bowden uh, is successful, but what he has is supporting cast members uh, at the Central Church to help him to keep on going. Um, there, is, um, there is a new movie out called Woman King. And uh, you need to go watch The Woman King. The Woman King is historic epic inspired events that happened in the 18th and 19th centuries uh, in the kingdom of the hominy. And the one thing that I really loved about Woman King is that they had a leading role by the name of Viola Davis. But the star person to me when I watched this movie was the person that was behind
2: scenes. Yes.
1: That people didn't even know her name. Two right. soul duty. She was committed to her role and she made the movie what it is today. Yeah. I come to tell you, you are an important key to the ministry. You have to stay committed to the task in order that the, your leader role may have for you. Uh, Loyalty is another character trait you must have and being committed to the second chair. Yeah, you must uh have the support of the first chair. Uh be thankful to actually seat sit in the second chair. Because first Thessalonians 5 and 18 tells us be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So, no matter what, having a gratitude and a servant's heart will get you what God has intended for you. But you must be committed to the second chair. Um, what I realized, too, uh, Pastor Oliver, is that we have to move beyond a song, a sermon, and a shout. Yeah, and it takes really um, eight systems to effectively run a church. Uh, the first system that you have is called a worship planning system. Uh, the worship planning system, or your weekend service, helps you plan, implement, and evaluate your Sunday worship. Uh, secondly, you also must have an evangelism system. Yeah, yeah, some people may refer to it uh, as evangelism, but is actually how do you attract people to your church? Uh, third is the, the assimilation system. Uh, that is your plan for taking people from their first visit to being a full developed member at your church. What do you have set up? Uh, fourthly, you must have a small group system. Uh, believe it or not, it is possible to have a 100% church participation in small groups. When I was growing up, we called it Sunday school. You, know, you must have a small group system. The fifth thing you must have is a ministry system. How are you meeting the needs of the people? You must have volunteerism systems set in your church to determine how you mobilize your ministry effectively. A sixth is the stewardship system. We would never disciple a church off of extravagant givers if we don't have an extravagant stewardship system in place that will allow us to train and educate and develop and nurture uh, the, the people that come to your church. Uh, the seventh thing you must have is a leadership system. Uh, as your church grows, you need to make sure that you develop your staff, lay leaders, and high power and volunteers to keep the church running. Yeah. And the last thing that you must have is their uh, strategic system. That strategic system sits above the other seven systems and serve as an evaluation tool on how effectively you are doing at the church. I said all of this to tell you, the first chair cannot do it by themselves. Yeah, right. They will need assistance from the second chair or multiple second chair leaders to help them support the church. According to Church Finder, there are 800 churches across the city of Detroit with a population of 3.5 million people how is your church making an impact? Our churches are designed to make an impact to change lives and to make disciples that is why you must stay committed in the second chair because you are designed to make a difference uh, the reality is that the second chair uh, is the most uncomfortable seat to be in. But possibly it could be the most rewarding. Uh, because the second chair is the training ground. Because you stay committed. Stay committed to God. Stay committed to your leader. And stay committed to your assignment. Also, uh, you must check your attitude. You must make sure that you have the right attitude. You must begin to check your attitude at the door. You must uh, if you truly want to serve you will understand that sometimes you will be in inconvenience. Uh, but your attitude is a possibility that may determine your altitude of service. Yeah, I said that your attitude is the possibility to determine the altitude of your service. Stay committed to the site because it can birth opportunities. Yeah. Uh, John Maxwell said, "Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Influence is a big part of who you are. You can influence people by your words." your attitude, and your behavior. Because without credibility and trust, you cannot be an effective leader. Uh, Joseph uh, enjoyed the favor of God, but always wanted to do his best, whether he served in the palace or he served in prison. He showed his faithfulness and his persistence. You must have a great relationship with the first chair. Listen, your relationship with the first chair is a key part role of your leadership in the second chair. Um, Normally opposites attract. You have to realize that you will be a subordinate. You must recognize that you are not the leader, but you have the ultimate authority and responsibility. Never let tension drive a wedge between the relationship between you and the first chair. Uh, you must be committed in the second chair, but also you must be creative in the second chair. Uh, like Joseph, uh, you have the opportunity to turn potential problems into positive solutions. Uh, in Genesis 41, we discovered that the land of Egypt was about to go through seven years of harvest and also seven years of famine. Uh, he was not a person with an agricultural background, but we had to learn that he had to really be a negotiator. He had to be an effective communicator. Uh, he had to have safe and efficient ways to store food. He had to learn how to forecast. He had to learn how to record keep. He had to learn the transactions of currency and bar. He had to deal with human resources. He had to be creative. Yeah. You must be able to be creative, innovative, imaginative, and Uh, to make the vision of the first chair leader make it it come to pass, You have to be so creative where others see brokenness and you see breakthrough. Where others see division, you see direction. Where others see turmoil, you see triumph. You have to grow beyond where you are. Uh, if the first year did not think you could handle the situation, they would have never gave you the, the assignment. Uh, don't don't be like Jonah who uh, tried to abort his assignment. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He wanted to do his own thing, uh, but after he goes to Nineveh, uh, after he gets out of a well and he prays to God, said God, give me out of this well, then he goes back to the and gets his assignment. Don't abort your assignment. Yeah. Bloom right where you are. Yeah. Uh, listen, no creativity and no change leads to no improvement. Be able to invent best practices for your ministry to take it to the next level. What really sets you apart from someone else's ministry. You may have a direct hand in designing and implementing a new strategy that bears fruit for the local ministry and the local church. You may have to design something new that will take the ministry to the next level. If yeah, build other ministries, you're going to need some strong help in building teams to make it happen. But you must have a trust-based relationship. You cannot be self-serving others. You must help and spot out talent for the first chair. A second chair leaders who understand the value of unique gifts and perspectives understand each person will bring to the table. Your job is to seek and identify talent. Be creative because the first chair needs your leadership. Let me warn you, be careful, be cautious. Uh, uh, Do not do things with an ulterior motive. Yeah, don't be trying to keep score. You must have an attitude of service and serve your leader. Yeah, make sure that you are a person that is flexible and that you are able to think outside of the box. You are able to see the vision, but let's see how you could carry it out. Colossians 3 and 23, it says whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Uh, Also, you must do, you must be a pulse taker. You must know what others are thinking and saying. Um, What type of value that you can bring to the first tier. You should be able to access the attitude towards the decision. You should be able to hear what other people are thinking so you can make the proper change the proper changes for the first chair, yeah. But be careful, because a medical professional will tell you a pulse check is not the only indicator for a healthy church. You cannot take one idea and think it's the right way unless you check the pulse of the others in the organization or the others at your local church. Also, You must be a vision amplifier. You must, your job is to repeat, reclassify, reintegrate the vision of the first chair leader. Are you to make sure that you are amplifying the vision and that the vision is able to come to life. You almost must be a vision multiplier identify and recruit other leaders. You must be aware and excited about who has leadership potential. Sometimes multiplication in leaders are placed rather than re-recruiting additional leaders. And lastly, if I go to my third point, you must be a gap filler. If there's no one else that can do it, You should be able to say, it's me. Or you can find someone with the right tools and strategies to help lead the congregation forward. You must be committed in the second chair. You must be creative in the second chair. But lastly, you must be content in the second chair. Because reality is you're going to have to face some seasons of intense struggle Contentment Must be your choice In the second chair uh, Before David Went to fight Goliath He had A conversation With King Saul Every Israelite Soldier Did not want to fight This big giant called Goliath because of his stature. Before uh, David went to the battle, he had a conversation with King Saul. And we know that chapters ahead that David becomes the next king after King Saul. But at this moment, Saul is king. Yeah. And Saul gives David his arm. He gives David his shield. He gives David his staff. He gives David his sword. David started putting stuff on, but it was uncomfortable. So he said, he took it off and said, it's not my time yet. David says, I'm on my way to fight the giant. I'm going to be content enough in what I've already possessed. I'm going to be content. Uh, so when I go on my way to the giant I'm going to pick up five smooth stones on the way I'm going, I got a slingshot And I'm going to knock that giant out You got to make sure that you are content in who you are Be content in what God has put in you Be content because, listen you, Out of the second chair can really birth the first chair You don't want to come out too soon Like a caterpillar uh, that is being broke to a butterfly. Uh, while the caterpillar builds his cocoon, he's in there. He's flapping his wings. If you cut the cocoon too early, uh, and he has not built up his wingspan, he will eventually uh, die because he hasn't had a chance to build the wingspan. He hasn't had a chance to bump against uh, that cocoon to build the strength, to build the muscles so he can break out of um, that cocoon and fly like a butterfly. God wants you to do the same thing, but you got to make sure that you stay in there, that you keep growing, that you keep developing, because God has something in store for you, but you got to be content in where you are, because God's got something better. My favorite scripture, no, I have seen, no, ear he have heard, the great things that God has in store for you. Listen, be committed in the second chair. Be creative in the second year, but lastly, be can sit in the second year. God bless you. Wow.
0: Amen. Bless you. Amen. We thank God for passing, passing you. You know what, I thought we was going to do a little Q&A, Pastor. I thought we was going to do oh, a- you know, <laughs> <laughs> All right, come on. Pastor David is going to come back going to do a little Q&A for him. He does want to do that part, so come on, clap your hands. They can come back. Right, I have a QA, so if anybody have any questions? Or? Pastor, I have <laughs> yes. a question for my
3: man. I think um, oftentimes in the African-American church, we don't value enough the role or the significance of the second chair, with that being said. How then do we move from where we've been? You know, all of the attention is on, uh, thank you, is on the senior pastor, and that's where all the light oftentimes shines, not realizing that the pastor or the leader only shines as well or not as well, depending on who those other individuals are in the second seats. How do we change that? What should be the dogma for that?
1: I think one of the dogmas is that, like you said, for African-American church, we spotlight the pastor. We spotlight the senior leadership, not knowing that the supporting cast plays a vital role. I think it's cultural based, Um, and that's, I think, one thing that we need to do as the younger generation that's coming forward, hey, you know, we might be content, you know, that God has given us a gift, but he may give us a gift just to be the second chair, and that's okay.
4: Pastor David, I have a question for you. Um, being someone who has served in the second chair before, before I started pastoring, uh, what do you do, or I say, how important do you think it is uh, for those in the second chair to uh, have a circle that they're connected to? I know all the times in pastoring, I was told, you know, connect with other pastors, connect with other people because you need someone who knows what it's like to be in your position. Uh, and I understand that from a pastor perspective, but uh, what if you're not necessarily a preacher or pastor, but you're a great administrator serving in the second chair? Uh, and as you have said today, uh, that you got to be content that you're going to be hit with different things, have to be the proper solved for some things. Uh, how important is it for those who serve in the second chair uh, to have a circle around them where they can uh, bounce ideas off of, them, where they can even just vent? How important is that? because? Burnout just doesn't happen at the senior pastor level. It happens at the second chair, third chair, fourth chair, all the way back to the bench member. Everybody experiences how important is it for us to have uh, a circle of people that we can trust, that will be confidential with us, and still uh, be able to help us and guide us where we are now.
1: I think having the right circle of friends around you makes all of the difference. Uh, I have a circle of friends that I'm around that support me, undergar me, um, and help me get to the next level.
2: It helps to be content actually that I don't have the burden of the first year. See, I don't have to worry about uh, making sure that we have uh, funding
1: uh, available uh, to pay the bills, that we have funding to pay for uh, uh, the musicians and, and, and make sure you have a salary. And I, I don't have you know, to carry that large burden. And so um, second chairs do experience burnout, um, but it just to me is the circle of friends around you, the ministry that you're involved in, um, and you can help, like I said earlier, build that team, build that staff where it is um, you're not carrying the entire weight. So that's obviously. Being in the second chair, I know we talked about being creative, being committed, and also being content. Uh, just to piggyback off the past one, uh, we talked about how being content dealing with the struggles. Uh, can you also talk about being uh, being content but being lonely? Uh, you no, know, being lonely, just isolated even in that um, Yeah. So uh, the second. The second chair is a very lonely place, um, just as the first chair. Um, as I've noticed, as you grow in leadership, as you progress um, at church, if you progress in an organization, it's lonely at the top. Um, and what we have to do is make sure that you surround yourself with the right people, as we talked earlier, but also that you really content in who you are. That's one thing that I love by myself, that I make sure that I'm content um, with who I am. I have people around me that give me encouragement. Sometimes I have affirmations for the day to keep me going along um, my struggles. And so that's what I right. do. Any other questions?
0: So we appreciate you for coming out and supporting. Uh, but to not put along the worship experience, well the workshop experience. Say worship, the workshop experience. We want to continue going forward at this time. I want to have uh, it's an honor and a privilege to have uh this woman guys come and share every year. She has come and shares great wisdom uh, to us every year. Every year, uh, she teaches and reminds us every time. I really appreciate this, oh my God. Um, I I love her teaching. I know she's a phenomenal preacher. but I love her teaching. That's what I love. I really forget she's teaching today. Let me get my notes, let me get ready. I love her teaching. Um, and you're about to see and experience why I love her teaching. I would like for
2: everyone to clap your hands for this great, woman my God. Thank you.
3: Edgar Van and uh, Lady Sheila Van. We bless the Lord this morning for Pastor Bold and making a to the a great uh, in the city. I know he's probably tired after like yesterday, um, but uh, tired and glad all at the same time. So let's get there. Amen. To Pastor Marks this morning, Lady Marks, we bless you. We bless you. To uh, Sister Kelly, who is certainly growing by leaps and bounds, and we applaud her this morning. And, uh, and to all of you who have come, I want to uh, share, and you, know, you can tell me what my cutoff time is, so I will make certain that I'm within that window. What's my cutoff time? Uh um, we got about to 12:30. Okay. And certainly to uh, who I call my pastor son, Amen. Pastor Norman Oliver, who is doing <laughs> such a great job. And you, Pastor, you don't to have a love hate relationship here, but that's my pastor son, Amen. Uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit this morning and share some points uh, on something that for me is a great passion. And I think every believer, definitely every pastor, has an area of passion. They may spread themselves across the board of the gamut, but there are certain areas that when you talk about it, or they see it, there is a passion that resonates. A witnessing, for me, has always been a passion. Uh, I'm one of those people that will witness the folks anywhere. I don't care. Um I've witnessed and taken in members at Chuck E. Cheese, I've taken them in on the street, I've taken them gold in his laugh I'm telling you. Uh yes, me and the big rat. Yes, we did, we did witness, yes, Lord. Uh, uh uh, you know, at the family picnic. It don't matter to me. Because one of the first things that I want to start with. Uh, And some of you that are here for Word, and I thank God for those of you who have come this morning. Um, I believe that there are no boundaries on witnessing. I think, and we talked about this a bit in Bible class on Wednesday. I'll mention it again. Years and years ago, churches would have what we would consider evangelism teams. And that was their sole job. Many times... It was either individuals who had been in the church an extremely long time. Um, For some ministries, it became a task assignment for uh, young preachers who were coming up in ministry because it was a grassroots way uh, to teach them how to engage uh, outside of the pulpit. So I believe that it was a great area for them. However, I do believe... Uh, with the change of environments and the changing aspects of ministry, that evangelism has to shift to all individuals. Anybody, everybody. I don't care who you are, from the third, from the third grader to the senior citizen uh, or AARP. Everybody, everybody must be engaged in witnessing. First of all, the very first thing is, is that I do believe that in this whole uh, witnessing uh, aspect, you are going. Your goal is to make disciples, and in Saint Matthew chapter twenty-eight through eighteen through the twentieth verse, it it makes it very clear that the assignment is to create other disciples. And I got to tell you. Witnessing or creating disciples is not really a new phenomenon. It is a matter of, I share with you what I believe is good. So be it, I believe, the latest makeup I bought was good. It doesn't run. It isn't watery. It'll last much longer. Uh, You won't have to change it as often. It could be uh, the bar of soap that you use or a perfume or cologne. It could be the school where your children are attending. It could be the school where you attended. It could be the neighborhood or community you live in. It could be the grocery store that you go to. You believe that the prices are good. You believe that they have good sales. It could be wherever you hang out. This is the spot. We don't deem or classify those things as witnessing. We're just talking. We're just, we're just sharing with a friend. But how many times have you thought about things or took a second look at something because someone said something? Uh, the other day, I'm driving down Liberloi, and there is a new little restaurant right between the lodge and uh, Puritan. Um, I've driven by it many, many times. I realized, wait a minute, this is a black owned business. And so I try to be very intentional to give dollars to those that are doing business in the black community. Now, now there are requirements for getting my dollars. Uh, I expect it to be clean. I expect good customer service. Uh, I expect them to be punctual. I don't expect. Uh, to go in and when I walk in my first uh, concept of experience is bad that I probably won't be back. Long story short, I go in, I look at the menu, uh, uh, the menu is set up very nicely, Uh, the lady that comes to the window, she's reasonably friendly, not overbearing, but reasonably. Uh, so I say to her, I said, you know, I'm a local pastor in the area, and uh, I stopped in. I just wanted to try And I said, if I like what I taste, I'm definitely going to ask them to come and to do business. She said, sure. Well, um, I, I purchased two sandwiches. Uh, that was about $25. I said, okay, not that I'm cheap, but this better be worth my $25 for two sandwiches. Uh, It took 25 minutes to get two sandwiches and there was no one else in the establishment. Well, that wasn't good. That wasn't wasn't a good thing. So then I said, I want to see how it tastes. Now understand, from the packaging, it was boxed well, the sandwich was folded well, Everything on the sandwich was put together well. I was impressed by the fact that it wasn't lettuce, it was spinach. I said, that's cool. I, I, I enjoyed on the menu that they had some vegan choices. I said, wow, that's cool because often in the African-American community, that's not a ready option. So I thought all of those. So I, I'm, I'm evaluating all of this, okay? And I'm going somewhere with this, and then I'm going to give you a few other points, and then I will be it Well, I... I set a pretense in my head of what this chicken sandwich was going to taste like. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have already made a comparison between um, Popeye's chicken sandwich mm-hmm. and KFC's chicken sandwich. Mm-hmm. Even Chick-fil-A. Now mind you, I not taken a bite. But because I had had all these other experiences, I used it as a measure even though there was nothing that said I had a right to do it, that I should do it, or that it would be false in doing so. But I had already done that. Uh, One thing, uh, and preachers understand totally when I say this, it doesn't matter what we do, I promise you. We always are looking for some type of revelation. I don't care. It's an ice cream stand. It doesn't matter. God, give me some revelation, right? Well, I bite into it. I said, "Well, it is fresh." Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh Well, oh <my. laughs> okay, all right. It's fresh. That's it. And that's where it started. That's where it was. That's where it finished. It was fresh. So I really don't know what to do with that experience. I believe sometimes that when we're witnessing to people or trying to develop a concept of uh, disciples, we forget that many people that we stop or that we encounter have already had previous experience. That's good. That's good. Some have been of other religious beliefs, so they've been taught and trained intensely. Some of them who may look like the alcoholic on the street was the pastor's son or the pastor himself. Mm-hmm. He is very well versed in scripture. One of the things I always tell people Some of the best witnessing that I've ever done was when I was in the club. Mm -hmm. That was my best place because it was the place where I tried to do the least witnessing but it kept popping out. Mm -hmm. But they were my most attentive audience. Mm -hmm. And they were the easiest group to get to go to church. I
2: don't
3: know if it was facilitated by a little alcoholic beverage or what it was, but I can get them to come. Number one, what I recognized was the number one thing, it was in a no-judgment zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was in a no-judgment zone. Whenever you are creating or working and developing a concept of evangelism, one of the things that you're coming to the table with is, this is what I know. I've had a personal experience with Christ, and I want to share it with you. I don't want to share the Roman's road of salvation. And I know that might turn off some people, and some people might say, oh no, you got to share the Roman's road. I don't even know you like that. <laughs> I'm sharing a personal encounter that I've had. So think about it for a second, what would you share? I would tell people God was a here. Mm-hmm. Because that is a personal encounter and experience that I've had. Not, not the ABCs of salvation. Again, I'm not discounting it, I'm not I'm not devaluing it. But I'm saying, I'm talking about where do I start? Because I don't know if you're going to be offended. I don't know if you want to hear it. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. So where do I start?
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Number two, I'm looking for spaces of commonality. Mm. Spaces of commonality. So therefore, how do I learn spaces of commonality? I listen to you. Whatever you're talking about, that is what is important to you. While I am listening to you, I am praying, saying, Lord, how do I reply to this? What do I say to this? It is not my moment to share hermeneutics, how you're going to exegese or eisegesse the text. No one cares about how long you've been in the church. Where are the points of commonality? The points of commonality might be about the last Beyonce song you listened to. Mm-hmm. You know, Beyonce, y'all, one, one that I really like. All, all of them are my favorite. I don't have nothing against Beyonce or nothing. But that, 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 uh, that, that one, Fast Ridgeway, or whatever. You won't, you won't. You won't. There you go. Oh, that, 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 <laughs> that, that, that.
5: <laughs> all right. That, that, that
3: one right there. That one right there. I could start, I could put her on and put uh, uh Good Morning Gorgeous behind you and make my whole day. And I'm good. <laughs> it is not the artist, it is the words, and the words is what share the commonality. Mm-hmm. So if I'm walking through Walmart. And I hear Beyonce, and I start bouncing. There is a strong probability that as I'm walking down the aisle pushing that cart, somebody's gonna smile, somebody's gonna laugh, somebody's gonna nod their head, somebody's gonna make a comment. All right, girl, you're opening up doors for me to have a conversation with you. I saw you like that too. They like that's my jam, and I'm saying to myself, Let's get into it. Again. So you gotta find spaces of commonality. Now, let me go over here, and then I'll come back. Why should we witness? Because I hear some people say, "Yeah, I believe in Christ, but I ain't talking to nobody." Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why should I witness? Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, uh, verses fourteen and fifteen. Somebody turn there for me, right? Now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Why should I do this? Because there are some people that feel that your relationship with Christ is so personal that that's where you should keep it in a personal space. But I believe as a Christian that we should take on the same behavior as a Muslim or a Jew in that it is not something that they do on Sunday. It is something that affects every moment of their lives. How they live, what they do, how they create their families. Everything is encompassed around their beliefs. For whatever reason, in the Christian church, we put beliefs over here and the rest of our lives over here. So it makes it difficult when people look at us. We look like a bunch of hypocrites. Because it's hard for them to tell, okay, now do you do this every day or is this something on Sunday? Well, well, we've taken what we believe, uh, and Pastor Ridgway talked about it real good, about the jump and the shout. So that's all we identify with as a Christian experience. A Christian experience, I get up every day. You go to work, you have family. You have other things that you enjoy. All of that is a part of your Christian experience. How you handle the person in the grocery store. They cut you off in line. That's a part of your Christian experience. You better believe it. When you're changing lanes on the freeway, they don't use the signal. They just cut over. The person that puts on the left here goes right. Ain't nobody. Nobody. And I said ain't. Hey, Ain't nobody in this room going to tell me that you're not having at least a godly experience because that God in you kept you from putting your car in park when they hit that red light and saying some other things. And it was not, God bless you, not the word that. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
2: I'm the only one that's ever
3: had that
5: experience.
3: <laughs> I am learning that in my godly experience, and I'm waiting for somebody to do the scripture for me. I'm learning in that God experience that sometimes I have to stop. I shake my head. I'm like, wow, what was going on in their head at that particular moment? And then this is how I involve a whole lot of that. Probably not very much. And that helps me. Um, who has okay. it? Okay, read it right it was Second
2: Corinthians chapter five verses fourteen
6: and fifteen. Yeah. Fourteen, and
2: fifteen. Yes.
3: Amen. Uh, I have that here. Who has it? Okay. Tammy, you got it. Yeah. Okay, read, it, please.
2: For the love of
5: Christ, constraineth us, because we thus, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that if he died for all. That, that they which
3: live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again because Jesus died for us that is why we I, I go back to my first one because of my personal experience because of my personal experience because I believe that he died for me and I believe Jesus could die for me. There's nobody in this room that is in that bad condition. Because I have looked in the mirror and said, God, you got be joking. You let me on the team. So you were desperate, you didn't have any subs. There was nobody else that was willing to say yes. You got down to the bottom of the barrel, and this is all that was left. And you just pulled me out. I know it was God. You said, today is a day of (laughs) miracle. And that's why he chose me. So it's real easy for me not to look down or not to cast aspersions or not to have judgments on other people because I recognize where I am, but I also recognize where I've come from. So this is why we witness. Now, what is your witness? How many of you ever had a bad witnessing experience? Okay, take you first, Randy. I'll take you, Dana, and then Elder. Yes, ma'am. Briefly tell us. They immediately just walked up and assumed I didn't know God.
5: Wow. They didn't. Ask any pertinent questions, or if I had a church home or anything like that, they just automatically assume that I didn't know God at all or anything about Him. So, from that experience, I learned not to do that to other people. Uh, I go in with a question to gauge where they are. Don't just approach me, and
2: God don't do
5: this for you. And I, I know that. I, I know that for myself. Wow.
3: That's me. That's you. That, that, that's good. When we make assumptions, we can make individuals very defensive in what was supposed to be a positive or godly experience.
2: Okay.
5: For me, they just weren't personable. They just came up with um, scriptures, not how you're doing, no, no commonality, just opening up the Bibles, quoting scriptures.
2: And Do you remember know. those scriptures?
3: And this is the reason why I say, not that I'm against the Romans' road to salvation, because that's how I was originally taught. The problem with that is, is that if I'm just quoting a bunch of scriptures to someone, it, it sounds great to me. I feel good that I've learned the scriptures. But if my purpose is to witness, to create disciples, I'm missing it altogether. It's like, uh, you got your football you're kicking it at the field goal, it goes nowhere. And you never said, what are they doing, are they playing basketball out here? If, I mean, you might as well have not. And not only that, now we make it harder for anyone that comes
2: after you. Yeah.
3: Because now I'm defensive, because you treated me this way. Um, I don't even know what you're talking about and I just really wish you or anybody else of the religious faith would not come back to me.
0: Okay. Help. Mr. Okay. came up to me and was like, Bro, oh, you look like you need Jesus. Here, take this. Here, take this. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was going
1: Bro, it was like, oh, okay. It was normal Jesus.
4: Wow.
6: You look like you need Jesus. <laughs>
5: wow. <laughs>
3: Go ahead, Tim. I'm listening to you.
5: Mom was, it was bad because people knowing that I was married to a preacher before and wanting to say, like, you know, because you're not, act, like, I guess I'm not acting like I should be, mm-hmm. being from the church, being the daughter of the pastor, all that type of stuff. So they came at me like, you know better you should do this versus not being spiritual enough to say, hey, I know you may be hurt. You know something like that. So you came at me thinking, you know, kind of chastising me versus ministering to me, which made me go back even further. Wow. Yeah.
3: Wow.
5: Chastising.
3: Chastising. Let me go here, and then I'll come back because I want to talk about this qualification for developing discipleship. The Christian church. My personal opinion, let me preface, I think that we collectively have done a very poor job at knowing how to restore people to the body. We are demonstrative, if I may use that word, in destroying people who have been injured. We do a horrible job. And in many cases, it is leadership that does it. You don't know my story. You don't know what's going on with me. I had, uh, it was about three months ago, and I was talking, no, six months ago, I was talking to a pastor in another state, and he says to me, I called you because I felt like I needed to tell someone this. So I'm reaching out to you he says, I've had it with pastoring and I'm done. Mm -hmm. Immediately my heart sunk because I could identify, Mm -hmm. but I recognized that I needed to listen very closely because I needed to understand was this an announcement or was this a cry for them? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, so you didn't call your pastor, you didn't call, I know you're in a fellowship, you didn't call your covering bishop, you called me. Now first of all, I would have never said well, why did you call him? Why you call me? Mm-hmm. Because I really don't know how close to the edge you are. Okay? Uh, I don't even know what has transpired to put you there. I would honestly say I can't really think of a, a pastor that would be very honest and say, well, I mean, there may be some, so I'll refrain. But most of them have at least said once or twice, I'm so through with this. The very first complaint he had was he said, these people don't want to change. Mm. Now let me tell you why I saw a problem in that statement. He had already disconnected himself, Pastor Oliver, yeah. from the people. Mm. Because he said, these people.
2: He had also
3: disconnected himself from, I realize that I'm here a servant, but these are God's people. He says, I'm very angry. I'm very, very angry. Now, after we talked for a while, one of the things that I did suggest, I said, well, you know, a sabbatical is not a bad idea. I said, but I would say to anyone, once you stop loving on God's people, that's probably a space that now you can become very dangerous because you're firing shots like what T is talking about. Like what lay people often talk about. I believe I can't preach to anybody I can't speak to. I shouldn't. Because to me it is as important that I say hello to that baby over there as I do to chairman of Deacon Board, to Chairman of Trustee Moore, to the Mother Board. It is equally important. Equally important. So we forget because perhaps a person has been a disciple. Just because they're not in the church does not mean they're not a disciple. It means they're not in regular fellowship. Mm -hmm. But we don't know what has caused them not to be in regular fellowship. And you will encounter, if you haven't already, that some people that you witness to have been church-going people. They have had bad experiences. Watch this not with god with the people one of the things i always say here be nice yeah be nice say hello to people yeah. i know you in a hurry getting to your assignment but say hello just simply say hey it was nice having you here today if i go to pastor bolden's church and visit and remember i go back to the chicken sandwich about my level of expectation. One of the things that I'm looking for is for his people to have the same character Yeah. As him. Yeah. Now it might be a good old mother on the door as an usher. Mm-hmm. And from my home church, you know, we had some bossy ones, but I loved them because they took their job seriously. Yeah. When I come in, ministers go march in for the good mother Stay right here. You don't move till I come back and get you. Yes, ma'am.
1: <laughs>
3: yes, ma'am. Because I knew it was in love. Yeah.
1: I said, mother, why don't you sit on the mother's board? I
3: don't sit on the mother's board. I'm a usher. I greet God's people when they come in. Woo, mother, you're shaking me up. I like to greet God's people when they come in. Mm-hmm. And even when my pastor would come down. Reckon, you wait right here until I come back and get you. Mm-hmm. They said, well, somebody else can take pastor. No, that's my job. This is my Sunday, this is my job. Who's going to fight with a 70 plus year old (laughs) woman? Let mother have her job. That's right. But nobody can beat mother being pleasant. People that were not even regular attendees, over the years, they've come in and they look for her. Where's mother? Where's mother? Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So we've got to be very cautious how we deal with people. Now, let me say this, and then I'm, I'm going to go into this witnessing part. Um, when someone tells you that they've had a bad church experience, don't become argumentative about that. That was their experience. Yeah. It was bad. Some people were nasty. Have you ever gone to a church and people were nasty? I've gone to churches. They've been very nice to me. Well, come on, God bless your privacy. But the three people that were with me,
2: mm-hmm.
3: kind of like sit wherever you sit. Well, I got problems with that. Come on up to my. No, I'm good. No, really. I want to sit back here. Because the back here is who you really are. Mm-hmm. Not on the front. Back here. Anytime that I've ever gone over to Second Air, for whatever it was, I always get the same care. Now watch this. Some of those people don't even
2: know me. So it's not a bishop style experience. It is an individual experience.
3: I expect that when I go to worship, I'm going to get the Walmart experience. Welcome to Walmart. They don't know you from a warm slice of bread. And then when you get ready to leave, they want you to have the same feel. Thank you for shopping at Walmart. So remember, I said number one, we we must. We must be very mindful of our approach, how we approach. We must be able to look at commonalities. We must not make little or be demeaning to individuals where they've been or
6: where they are. But we also must be
3: mindful that everything that we do, it becomes a building block. You become a building block. Somebody says, nope, I don't go to church because those people are nasty.
2: Maybe
3: they were. Maybe they were. Because some of us, once we come into the knowledge of Christ, we almost act as if if you're not a Christian just like me, then you're not a Christian. Yeah. How dare we? How dare we? Let's look at this. Qualifications for witness. Let's take a little spiritual inventory. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19.
1: And of course we know that
3: always when we look in the book of Acts, it always gives us great insight and qualifications uh, on the whole process of being a witness but I wanted to look at this one. I don't have time to go into the Galatian experience, but I wanted to at least look at Matthew 4.19. Who's there? Okay, yes, madam
5: I'm reading from the ESV. And mm-hmm. they said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Woo! Asterisk point.
3: Follow me. Mm-hmm. Repeat after me. Do what I do. Do it like I do. When you tell people to follow you, you will create an empathy for individuals that perhaps you never had before. Because we only are empathetic many times to struggles or spaces where we have difficulty. We are not empathetic to individuals in other spaces. I got you. And for a long time, the church has eliminated groups of people. Mm-hmm. Well, you get in, but you can't. In this season of ministry, you need to open up that door wide. You need yeah. to let everybody in. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, before the pandemic, who came to church, many of them were not coming back. Mm-hmm. So I believe that every time a preacher gets in the pulpit and you have an opportunity to minister, you have no time to beat up on the people that are there or the people that did not come. You don't even have that much time. The attention span is not even that
5: long. Right, right.
3: Because truth be told, there are times I've said, you know what, I can sit in the middle of my bed, too,
5: Mm -hmm. and do church.
3: Everybody else on vacation. Why should I be committed to something that they don't even want to be committed to? But I have to remember what the assignment is. and If I've got people that I'm saying follow me, then that means that I've got to persevere. Well, I say that as well to the parishioner. Because for so long, all of the weight has been on the preaching. You preach them out. You get the souls. Mm-hmm. That's not how that's supposed to go. If the sheep be gay, sheep, sheep mm-hmm. then I've got to make sure that the sheep that are doing the beginning That they understand how important their role is. Yeah. It does not grow without you. If it fails, it fails because it's you. If the preacher is feeding you. And you're not making deposits. In other places.
2: Then that, that's on you.
3: Or do you expect the preacher to do that too? Because mm-hmm. somebody's got to be responsible for you. Well, I'm not good at witnessing. Are you good at being nice?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Then be nice when they show up. Can you do that? You don't need your seat, a seat for your purse, a seat for your coat. <laughs> then you're going to hold three seats for a friend that have not arrived yet, which could be a great opportunity of witness for somebody that comes in. They're new. Sometimes people have come because they've seen it online. Sometimes people come and they've seen a card or something somewhere. They just show up. The first thing they're going to remember is how they were treated before they even get to the whole sermon part. I I feel sorry for some pastors because you don't even get a chance to put your good in the game. Because the parking lot attendant has killed it. The usher has killed it. The four people sitting on the row has killed it. Now you've got to bypass all of that to try to make it a good experience. I go back to my chicken sandwich. Should I have compared that sandwich to Popeye's? No. To KFC? No. Chick-fil-A? No. But I didn't realize I had done it before I had done it. I had an experience the other day, uh, my phone was almost dead. You know, the iPhone gives you that great, big, red battery. (laughs) And I know, and maybe I'm the only one, but some of us, we even ignore the big, red battery. It's like, that's not talking to me. I know I got more. (laughs) like the gas tank on E, is B, it's like, hello, but I can make it down the street. (laughs) But it said something at the bottom that blessed me. It said, iPhone findable. I've never seen that before. Maybe maybe I just never paid attention. But it blessed me because even though the battery was red, Pastor Oliver, which was an indicator that it was almost dead, yeah. it still let me know that if that phone was in another place yeah, yeah. and I could, it was not readily accessible to me, there was still enough juice on that phone yeah. that I could find it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Jesus. I sure hope I'm helping somebody, because it blessed me at like 5 o'clock. And I said, why would iPhone tell me that even though this phone is almost dead,
2: I can still good. buy it? I would like to propose or to suggest... That even though you may be exposed to
3: some individuals where it looks like the battery is, is dead, it is dying, they've had a bad experience, it is overwhelming for them, there is no hope for them, they are still findable. Yeah. Yeah. And you must take a findable spirit. Here's yeah. oh, so Find a slogan for you. Be aware that there is a findable spirit in all people. If, as Genesis says, that we are like, that we are made in his likeness and in his image, then that means that there is something that is in us from the beginning. There is a root that is still there that you got something to work on. Some of us have to be created. Like I was watching Pastor Bolton yesterday and he was talking about a uh, team event that he was having at his church. I'm willing to bet that yes, even though a lot of those kids were central ladies, some of those kids became evangelists and they didn't even call themselves evangelists. That's right. It goes back to the point that I was saying something that we believe is good to be sure. That's right. So, they probably said, hey, when I get out of school today, what you doing this again? I need you to come over here because we got a game truck. They didn't say, I want you to come because we're going to have intense prayer and great scripture and we're going to seek the face of God. <laughs> Hallelujah! No, I felt that strong. But now what if one of those kids showed up and they were smelling like me, somebody who was a volunteer, said, well, look, you can't be on this game truck because you got your body on this truck. It would have blown a full witness
2: opportunity. Maybe
3: he was, God. And? Well, maybe what we saw in him was visible. Some things in us is not as visible, but it is as strong.
2: Your attitude
3: is nasty pastor talked about it. Your attitude is nasty. That has a stench. It it smells. It's strong. You you have personally driven people out of the church on your own. That smells. That's strong. So even though maybe they weren't the person that invited the young people. Have a conversation with me. Hey man, what's your name? My name is Ray. Ray, so that you came tonight. Now here's a strong probability. Ray probably knew that he smelled like me. Mm-hmm. Ray may not even have been a smoker. He could have come from a house. Mm-hmm. You don't know. But what if he was? He's there. So me, I would say, hey, Ray, teach you how to play this game. Cause I to, what you call this? Mm-hmm. Now he gets the shine. So now he talks about him. I may even lose the game. I'm cool with that. I don't approach him and say, you know, Ray, I'm a pastor the church. How you doing? You a pastor? Yeah, that's not what I said. I don't even make an announcement of who I am. Because at that moment, it has no value or significance. What is important is this young man who somebody else got him to come, he's healed. Yeah. And obviously, this is what drew him less enjoy the, the experience. Say, so, hey, now, I expect when you see me later on the night, you say, hey, what's up,
2: This on my elbow, way to do
3: something. He laughs. He may not even remember my name. But when he goes back to school or wherever he came from with that friend that invited him, hey man, you know what, I met this old lady, she was fun though, I don't even remember her name, I beat her in the game though. If he comes back, there's a greater probability he's going to speak. Mm -hmm. And he may come back again smelling like weed. So, maybe what he's dealing with in his life, Weed is a great way to get away from it. Now, I been a weed smoker, but I got to be honest to tell you, some things I face, I'm like, I need to be smoking, drinking, <laughs> climbing on the top of a building, hanging from a tree, or doing something. Because this right here, this is way too much to be handling in a sober position. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. We are all called to be witnesses. I want to take one look at Philip here. And I said I wasn't going to Acts. I will at least do Acts chapter 8, uh, verse 25. Actually, i want to do verse 27. Acts chapter 8, verse 27. Because we talk about this guy Philip, and what I find very interesting about Philip is that Philip was... Um, Philip was called to be an evangelist. Mm-hmm. That was his aside. To evangelize. He was called to that. Acts chapter 8, verse 27. Who does Philip witness to? Anybody there? The Ethiopian. The mm-hmm. What does this verse 27 say?
5: So he started out and on his way. He met an Ethiopian, mm-hmm. an important official in charge of all the treasury of the candidate,
2: mm-hmm.
5: which means queen of the Ethi- Ethiopians. Mm-hmm. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship.
3: Mm-hmm. Keep going. Uh, I want you to come down to verse number thirty. Did you read, mm-hmm. no, read the
5: 30. thirty? No, I didn't
3: read thirty. Okay, go ahead.
5: Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading. Isaiah, the prophet. Mm-hmm.
3: Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? I want, to, I want to raise this question, and then I'm going to list a few things that I can that Philip had under his belt as qualifications to be with this, that I think that all of us can glean from. What is the big deal with Philip addressing the easy because he is not addressed by his name. So we clearly understand when in text they are identified by what the condition is or what the role is, then that becomes significant, not the name. So then why is it that Philip addressing an Ethiopian, why does that become a big deal? Because he's witnessing to him. He... One, his diversity, that's good. Anybody else? What role does that Ethiopian have? Royalty. He is royalty. What is the big deal with Philip addressing him? He's not supposed to. But why is he not supposed to? His uh, stature He was not, in essence, of the same stature to even address the Ethiopian. About any God definitely relationship. Some people that you approach, which to me is also a misnomer of the church, I go back to the point that I was making about how we believe that the preachers or a particular team should be a witness. Yeah. No, everybody. Everybody, everybody, and like a everybody. 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 You are not exempt from the opportunity of witness because you don't preach from a pulpit. And I think sometimes in the black church, we have elevated the preacher's soul until there is a major gap between the parishioner and the preacher. So when the preacher has a fall, we treat that as a subhuman experience, when in fact the preacher had a human experience. That's what it is. Now, I'm not saying that alleviates responsibility of the preacher, that there is no difference in responsibility of the preacher and the parishioner. But what I am saying is that we have created such space until many types of parishioner will feel I have achieved my goal by just being in attendance. When in fact your attendance, yes that is to strengthen you, but to strengthen you to do what? To go back out and to replenish. Not to become obese in becoming strengthened. Now, I could go into that Ethiopian a whole lot more because there's a whole lot more to come there. I really don't have time, and I want to see it in my time and strength. But when we look at the Ethiopian, and in fact, when the Ethiopian almost acts as if, are you talking You can find major disconnects sometimes in witness. Do not become angry. Do not become offended. Do not take it personal. Because you don't know where they are coming from. That's why I believe it's always good to listen to them. Do not come like what Brandy was talking about, where we treat these people as if you don't know anything about God or what Tia talked about in terms of I'm going to chastise you and correct you because you know you ought to be doing that. You don't know what I'm doing. You, you don't even know where I am. Or in Elvis' case, you look like you need this. Well, what exactly does that mean? What if that person that you said that to, has already been dealing with a number of issues in their life already. Now you become another person with another nail hammering into what has already been a bad situation for them. What if, and there are some, some people who have um, been a part of church families all of their lives, and when they become older they don't want anything to do with the church because they've had such bad experiences. They've seen how their parents have been mistreated. They've seen a lot of hypocrisy. So they've they've had a lot of negative experiences. And again, they are not mad with God. They're just not feeling the people. Let me share a couple of these qualifications that I believe that Philip had. Number one, Philip had knowledge of the word. Just because you're not dropping 15 verses does not mean that you should be void of knowledge. Number two, that you should have boldness, not overbearingness, not overbearing, but being bold in it. In other words, I believe it, I know it, I can share it without hesitation, not being combative. Number three, that I have compassion. So I have knowledge of the word, I have boldness in the word, and I have compassion in the word. Number four, that I have humility. Humility in the Word. I'm not trying to show off my Bible skills. Next, I have obedience. My obedience to sharing with you is because I recognize that this is an assignment on my life. Next, I am receptive. Let me go back again. Humility, obedience, and I am receptive. I'm willing to accept you where you are because, remember, I came in your space. I remember as a very young preacher, uh, my pastor sent me once to take communion to uh, someone's house. And when I got there, they had liquor bottles and everything. And uh, they said, wait a minute. They said, wait a minute. Uh, uh, Evangelist here, wait a minute. And, and and I could see them through the doors, you know, they put the bottles away, they put them behind the, the couch and everything, past it. So when I walked in, guess who acts like they didn't see no bottles? <laughs> Here's my thing. Obviously, they were making an effort that they felt, I'm going to put this away. This is inappropriate for the preacher to see. It was not necessary that I said to them, no, oh, it's your house. I'm coming to your house. Oh no, I was, well, thank you. Huh? It was a conversation that was understood, didn't need to be had. Next, tact. T A C T. Tactful. Tactful. Can I tell you, sometimes being tactful is just being silent and listening. Because sometimes some conversations will put you in an awkward space. You're like, eh, I don't know if I should say this. Well, sometimes if you don't open up the door on some things, some things are best left unsaid. Because you're go, you're not, you're, 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 you seeding. S e e d i n g. You're seated. That's what you're doing. You're seated. You might not be good at ordering, but you are good at seeding. So, drop seeds. Hey, you know what? My pastor is doing this series all this month on grief. I think you ought to come and check it out because I know you've had some great losses. And it helped me. Again, going back to the very beginning, it was personal so I could
1: easily share
3: that. And you know what I went through when I lost such and such. Relatable. And then the last is enthusiasm. If you don't sound glad about this Jesus you're talking about, I promise you I'm not interested. And you can tell where and what people are excited about. Now me, uh, my dad was a mechanic. One of the things that I grew up with was a love for old school cars. I love it so much that if I see an old school car driving down the street, first thing I look at is headlights. Last thing is taillights. I'm trying to see.
2: Okay, now is that a
3: 72, Monte Carlo? Is that a 70? Yes, kind of got that round, so maybe that's like 71, 72. No, that's like 68, because you can see it. Well, yeah, okay, Wow, well, That's just one of my head. But I was raised with it. Anybody around me mom, they know I love old school car shows. American cars. I love old school cars. Well, I love old cars, period. Doesn't matter if it's American or foreign, I love old cars. So I don't always bring it up as conversation. But if it comes up, I like it. I'm like, now that's a eight engine Man, You can hear that. That engine got handy. Did you see those dual pipes on the back? Most people are like, you like what? Yeah, well, I mean, but I grew up around it. constantly. So it may not be something that you feel like, well, I don't want to be the bore of the event every time I show up here. She can, oh, God, she's going to talk about Jesus. Talk to them. And many times those same set of individuals will always be the influence. If it's nothing but, I am really having a rough time. I'm just happy to say, you know what, I'm gonna pray for you. Would you do that? Would you pray for me? And don't embarrass them. You want me to pray for you right now in front of everybody? See, you gotta you gotta be very pointed at opportune times for that. Because there are a lot of people that will give you the naked night ministry. I ain't gonna say nothing in front of nobody, but you know I really need that prayer. For you. Sure. Yeah, make it like nice. it's okay. And a lot of and a lot of them are like that because discussing religious beliefs can be a very awkward space. A very awkward space, and you don't want to turn people off by being perceived as a fanatic. Because not in other spaces, you can be a fanatic. You can be a sports enthusiast. You can be all of those things when you start talking about Jesus, the fanatic radar level goes way over to the left and out of the box when you keep just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Have you ever met anybody like that? Because those people really irritate me. I guess I shouldn't say that. I guess that push me out of the Jesus community. But then, you know, everyone, I mean, you just say, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, the Lord bless me, I see that the Lord is Girl, if we wait for the Lord on my side, we gonna put you out on the street. Cause it's clear you have a burning and yearning to it. So I want you to look at those points, find out where you are, and then be very honest in that. Be very honest in that, and pray. Ask the Lord, Lord, how should I approach these? Some of the hardest people to witness to are sometimes the people that we are closest to. Because they know me. So this is what I say. Get the disclaimer off the table. Well, you know what? I ain't nobody perfect because you know me. You know how I roll. You know what I do. But I do love God, and I believe God loves me. So I'm going to share what I know where I am. Then that way, they can't say, I can't believe you're trying to tell me about Jesus. I came in the door with my disclaimer. But let me but let me tell you somebody else that I think is a little bit better. Or let me or let me introduce you to somebody that can do it better than me. Yeah. The last area, and we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, and I'll finish in this space and then take any questions. Because he told me at twelve fifteen and I am an anxious to hear what Pastor has to say to us, Pastor Bolton. Mm-hmm. You right now sit in authority of being one of the greatest evangelist that you could ever do. And it is with your phone. You have accessibility. However many friends you have on your Facebook page, on your Twitter page, you have accessibility to at least all of those individuals on a platform. I was saying the other night that there's a young man that belongs to Pastor Curtis Grant's church. He doesn't know me personally. We just kind of became Facebook friends. But one thing that I admire about that young man: any time Pastor Grant is on, whoo, he takes. It. And I love Pastor Grant. Love his preaching. Love his teaching. Love his ministry work. But what impressed me even more. This young man never said, hey, George Scott, I'm gonna send you a tag every time I pass it along. He just says, and it goes in. So when I'm scrolling through in the middle of the night, I said, man, I want to go to Pastor teaching. And I said, I was gonna make it my business to let Pastor Grant know the next time I see him pastor, I don't know what committee that young man works on. I don't know if you even know him personally. But I gotta tell you, if you got a social media team, he needs to be on. Because what he is doing is giving me a great opportunity. And he's sharing it with me. So if nothing else, up his prayer <laughs> Until they will say to you, you know what? Don't send me no more of those. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to be offensive. You know, you're just in my group. And I sent it. That's not a lie. That's true. So I just sent it because I sent it to everybody in my group. And it helps me. Personal love. And it helps me. And I care about you too. So I thought it might help you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not, girl. I know you ain't been to church in six months. So I thought I should give you this. We know that. Questions or comments? So that I can see. Y'all know I like to try to stay on my time. for it. Questions or comments? And I appreciate those of you that shared, I thank God that your bad experience was not enough to turn you off from Christ. Because it could happen. So even though I don't know those individuals that did that, but I apologize to you for the bad experience that you've had of someone that might be watching has had a bad or negative experience, I pray that going forward, that it will not ruin your thought process or your willingness to come back into the church or to explore God in a more personal way. How can you apologize for them? Because I'm part of the kingdom too. And even though I may not be responsible, I do feel bad that it happened. Not to mention, the next person that comes along for seating, it makes it twice as hard. So anybody else? Any questions or comments? Yes, sir. I know we had a uh, previous conversation talking about how um, what type of tactics that we need to use to advance the kingdom,
0: comparing uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, how their tactic has not changed, but has still remained the same. What do you feel like what is need to be done in today's church as far as
3: uh witnessing? Well, it's obvious that the methods that Jehovah Witnesses uses is still effective. And we measure effectiveness, I would think, by what we see in results. You also, at least I have not seen, I don't see social media platforms with advertisement. I don't see advertisements on the sides of buses or anything of that nature. Mm -hmm. But they yet maintain their own gathering. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is clear that the door-to-door method is still workable. Now, is it a lot of work? Yes. It is so, it has been so effective That if a church went out door to door, they they had to make certain that they wear t-shirts or something that would identify them because people would readily put them in a category of Jehovah's Witnesses. And that again supports how effective over the years they have been. I think that if you ever talk to a former Jehovah's Witness and they ever become a Christian, they have some of the greatest witnessing tactics that I've ever heard. They do not approach you saying, do you want to be a witness? As such, as a Jehovah's witness, no. Many of them will ask you, do you know God, do you know Jesus? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a Christian, how would I
2: saying that now? So yes, I think it is still very
3: effective. I think that it becomes a great challenge because you have to have interaction with people. But I think even though we are a very digital society, I think by human nature, we enjoy contact. Now, the younger generation, your group, 30, 35, 35 and under, they may not have to have physical as such, but I think we are designed as human beings to have physical interaction. And I think that we've seen since the pandemic how disjointed we become when we don't have physical. I think it has even affected us adversely in even how we communicate with each other. Many people don't know how to talk to each other because in the culture now, we don't have to talk to each other. We hear we hear in text and we
2: hear in emails. So even if Pastor
3: Oliver sent me an email, I don't hear it in his voice so if he puts, he may not put exclamation points, but I do five of them in because I thought he was being a little aggressive with me when he said exactly. He is always aggressive with me. He's, he's always. <laughs> so I think that is unfortunate. I think every church has to find his or her balance in there. I think that there are some churches that do very well digital, um, Be it the lights, camera, and action. Be it the sit down and conversation. Like I've watched uh, 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 Pastor Bowman, I love the approach of you know, it's kind of like uh, I call him the fireside chat preacher <laughs> because I love the approach of I just want to talk to you. Let me, like there's nobody else in the room but you. I think also too that many preachers were not raised in an era where a room was empty and they could just talk. So that became a greater challenge, too, digitally. I think for me, which I'm very thankful, because I did radio for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So sitting in an empty room with nobody, the goal was, you do notice all these people listening. You need to act like it. Mm -hmm. So that was an advantage for me. But I still like the old school touch, and probably because I am old school. I'm two months, three months away from being 61. So I like old school. But I think that there needs to be engagement on both levels. I think advantage is you take some young people who are technologically savvy, but you don't leave out those old people. So I like churches that have it digitally, but they will tell people, you can call in, because grandma might not get on social media. And unfortunately, sometimes young people are not as patient with older people who are not as savvy with technology, and so when they give us technology verbiage, like did he say upload, download, or sideload? I don't know that. So, but 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 I have to I have to say I think the method of door to door is still very good. I think there are some dangers that we look at. You know, uh, certainly I would advise anybody who's regularly going someone's home because uh, we don't know what we are confronting. I think digitally is safer. But you can't be one-on-one at the bus stop. You just can't. You know, you can't, you can't be the bottle of water on a 90-degree day. You just, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's just nothing like it. You can't, because they're going to remember that. You know, you can't be uh, giving diapers to a single mom that's having a hard time or baby formula. They're going to remember that. You know, this, I mean, you just, like even Sunday. You know, I watched you guys. You guys were out there, man, y'all was getting serious about that corn talk. <laughs> I mean, I was like, it was kind of personal. But it was a great ministry, because now I get a chance to talk to you. If it ain't nothing, but I'm gonna beat you. So it's a great probability that the next time in church I ask you to move five chairs, you're more probably. Because <laughs> we engaged, even if it ain't nothing but you talking trash about how you lost or how you won. Jenga is real serious from It is. Jenga is real serious. Like Jenga, you know. Or... Jenga. But what I realized was I watched people gather around the Jenga table that would probably never even talk to each other. So that's why I was praying so hard that it didn't rain tomorrow because that volleyball game is going to be a serious situation. It's going to be a serious situation. You marks to It's going to be a serious situation.
1: It's going to be serious. Now, I don't know who's going to be the big day afterwards, but. I'm taking my little close mm-hmm. to me tonight. That's it's it. Take you know, it. Anybody? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, so um, when I was growing up, uh, we had a, a soul winning team. Uh, I was following a soul winning team, and uh, we'd go door-to-door,
0: teenager.
1: Um, and so my question for you is, you kind of answered a little bit, but in the 21st century, 20, uh, 2022, what do you see our new? Strategy to explore that. I think gatherings are good.
3: Relax gatherings. Um, sure, we can open with prayer and things like that, but just relax gatherings. Uh for lack of a better way of saying it, and this is what the Lord is now putting in my spirit, uh, do it the old school black way. Right. Mm-hmm. We just gathered because we was gathering. Mm-hmm. We was having just because, you know, it's Friday night. Uh uh, uh, some people in some families, Friday night was spade night. You know, fish fry night. Uh, hey, we just did it together at Auntie House. What were we doing? Frying fish, sitting out in the backyard, which gave us the opportunity. The old folks talked about all the things they did. The young folks ran around and played together. Uh, 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 and we looked forward to it. We didn't have a name for the gathering.
2: We
6: just meeting
3: up. We just meeting up. And then, as we went on, generations after followed. Unfortunately, as many of those matriarchs and patriarchs have died off, we lose a lot of that. Uh, but I think it's even more critical now because uh, when I was growing up, we would sit down and have dinner together. Now families are busy. You might have in a household, husband and wife, both are working, they're working different schedules. Or even if one is working. Uh, the kids got one kid, got soccer, another kid got basketball, so we grabbed the McDonald's. Uh, dad, took junior to the basketball game, they had McDonald's. Mom and the daughter, we went to Wendy's cause, you know. And so that time, and then not only in the initial, the, 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 the unit itself, but then when you start talking about extended family, then it might be Thanksgiving. It might be Christmas. Maybe yes, maybe no. Because now, like, you take you, for example. Well, maybe as a single man, you could have done that. But now, but now we got to navigate, we've got a wife. So do we go, do we go to the for breakfast, Christmas breakfast, and we do the vans for a Christmas dinner? You know what I mean? So now you got all of those kind of components. So I think just simple gatherings. Like what he did yesterday, I think that was a great, I think that was a great situation. Uh, uh, I'm just inviting y'all I ain't giving you no evangelism tools to say do it this way because you're just going to do it because you're excited about what's happening and you're just going to invite it one thing that I've always loved about youth ministry is that to me youth ministry is one of the easiest places to teach kids how to be evangelists without a whole lot of scriptures because they just talk, they share they're on social platform they share with each other they do much better than we do as adults. Mm-hmm. We playing basketball, okay? I'm coming. Like there will be many times we put the hoops outside and guys just walking down the street. Can I play? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that same guy probably would never come in this mm-hmm. turn. Y'all give my hot dog and something drink while you're playing. Mm-hmm. What's your name, Little Mike Mike? Cool. you ain't gotta give me your government. That's it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Every time I see you, hey, Little Mike Mike. I also think, Pastor Ridway, that the church has got to change misnomers in the black community of how we've been perceived. Now the preacher is a criminal, pedophile, all they want is your money. I think one of the good things of the pandemic was that it made a whole lot of churches go outside because we refused to go outside and especially thriving churches, go outside for what? So people around the perimeter were never service. You know, like when you go in cities like New Jersey and stuff like that, heavy casinos, you'd see the casino life was blazing. And then you go three miles out and it was like the pit of poverty. That money never matriculated down to those spaces. Uh, but y'all are much better at it than me. That's just old
5: school stuff.
6: Anybody?
3: Anybody?
5: Yes, ma'am. I I just wanted to thank you for um, actually going into detail on what um, witnessing really should be, or evangelism should be, because growing up in the church, I had one way of thinking of evangelism, and it wasn't, and I'm like, I'm not that person. Um, I'm more uh, personable with people. And I'm just glad that you said it because, you know, if if you can't be personal with people nine times out of ten, you're not going to get them to come to church if you that's can't true. relate to them. Uh, where they are, just be kind to somebody. And it's not always about how many scriptures you know or your dress. You know, what you wear to church because that's a turn off too. Sometimes, like you, well, when I grew up, it was you couldn't you had to wear a certain thing, and while you. Why can't people just be comfortable coming to worship the Lord? Um, that Jesus does doesn't really care about that. Why do we care so much? So it's like you know, just invite people to um, to be comfortable while worshiping, and, and so they can just be themselves. So I just appreciate that um, that aspect of evangelism because now I have a new outlook instead of just uh, the same way I grew up in and uh, how we used to just. Pass all tracks, but never really just be kind to people and you know get get to know a person. So. There's generally no
3: follow-up, so check on people. Sometimes just a little uh, a little inbox, hey, how you doing? Or I was glad you visited with me three weeks ago. You don't even have to go into detail. How you doing? That's that's always good. Like, while they thought enough of me to say something again. Lastly, I say this in
6: closing. I would say the yes. uh, importance of commonality, like last Sunday, we were outside, a young gentleman growing up on a bike, and I don't know if you saw me talking to him, mm-hmm. we had a lengthy conversation. And the first thing you talked about commonality, I said, I know you. He said, you know what i say? I know you and I know your twin brother. Wow. We grew up together, we went to elementary school, we went to junior high school, we went to high school together. He said, yeah, I live in that house right there, second block. House, wow. And we had to talk, and, and he was telling me some stuff. And I think listening is important to gauge where a person is in terms of where their walk is with God. And for some, like him, he, he had a lot of issues going on in his mind. And he said he doesn't step foot in the church, and he gave you reasons why. He lost a lot of his children who preceded him in death, you know, and then he fell downstairs and He his head and suffered a number of strokes. You know, and I, but he said, well, I'm in the neighborhood I go up and down the street riding my bike, and I look, and I look, and I see you guys in his lot and stuff like that, you know, uh, doing things. And I say, yeah, that's my church right there, you know, and I'm part of it, and that's the mission right there. And uh, then he said, well, he said, well, I don't go to church, but that's Pastor, uh, he said, um, Pastor White. Stan White? I don't know if he know of me. <clears throat> He knew you well. He, said, okay. he had a radio uh, ministry and stuff that he named off the call letter for the radio station. I said, why don't you go and, and talk to uh, Bishop Scott and just, you know, let him know, you know, that you're refurbishing that church right there, that red church on the corner. I said, yeah, we went in that church a couple of times. And I think about I remember the head, leak inside. And I remember he said, he yeah, had working on the and stuff like that. He was planning on opening in um, December. But uh but sometimes it's a commonality and then listening to them, try and gauge where they are to figure out how you can try and witness to them, evangelize to them, and you know, just give them some encouraging words, you know, when you don't know what a person is going through. And the flip side of that, my brother, he had a lot of anger because uh, um, children and stuff don't call him like I told them, we mm-hmm. live in a whole total generation now where, you know, that that camaraderie when you had grandparent and the great-grandparents and you sat down and had Sunday, Sunday dinner and stuff like that. I said, this is a different generation. So, you know, you, you you can, you know, hope to have a great relationship, but, you know, you can't be upset with God because, you know, you and your kids have, you know, binded the way that you wish that, you know, they were like we did with our parents, you know, times are different, but you know, and some of the hard people to witness to and evangelize to our family members. Mm -hmm. Not only because they know you and you like now you know my past, you know my preacher, you know my belief in my brother in California. You know, my brother he was sent stuff, you know, and and my brother in California feel like he's tearing me down because he's trying to discourage me from believe in my God because he said he don't believe in God that God is this God is that, why are these things happen, blah blah blah. To make long story short, we try to say, well, okay, well, sometimes we need to tune you up there because you you're causing harm to us and our belief and call it a fact. Well my brother said that because of what you're saying when you tear me down and I gotta stay strong because I was sometimes some having strokes and stuff like that. And now you know you, when you say negativity Challenging my faith and, you know, cause greater destruction in me. But I say all that to say that, yes, uh, one of the most important parts of witnessing and evangelism is is listening to try to find out what a person is in life and what they've been challenged with in their life and try and just encourage them, you know, and just to let them know, one, that you're listening to, you're feeling, God is there for you whenever you need him. You know, uh, and so you just have to encourage him. You know that you know life is is all up and down and turmoil, and the Bible tells us that we got to go through times and generations and stuff like that. But you know that in the end, that, you know God, God is really there. Nice, you know, to all your pain. Yeah, take your
3: I think that it was, well, I would say this in conclusion. I think, and we thank God that you were there for that work. Because that was time. So we thank God for that. Mm-hmm. I say this as I go to my seat. Don't be judgmental of whomever God sent mm-hmm. However they come. And some of them may never change. Mm-hmm. But obviously something that you're feeding them is working for them. So be receptive when they come. Welcome them. Don't worry about where they came from. Some of us know better where they came from because we've been there too. And some of us are still there, yeah. but they're coming. So be nice. Again, we bless the Lord for Elder Carlton and such a great gentleman. Come on, y'all clap.
0: want to take a chance, we're going to have uh, Pastor Rockwell to come up next. it's next over Weather right here, we appreciate you for coming out and being with us on this service session as well. So, as you go ahead and get ready to grab your snacks and everything, there is on the second page get a chance So, um, so into the Congress of Service. Um, we do have as well, so please, if you can take the time, donate to us, because we have a great conference that's coming up, in best in two weeks. We will be having
2: Bishop-elect Eric Nair, coming all the way out of North Carolina, coming to preach, yeah. and there's the a
0: phenomenal preacher extraordinaire, uh, Pastor Daniel Latimer, all the way from South Carolina you coming and preaching and ministering as well. Uh, this is uh, all donations we be held uh, towards our conference, uh, this two-day conference that's uh, new do every year. I appreciate you uh, as you sow. Um, trust and believe it's going to good grounds. We have done some great things already this year. We're back at the school again. Uh, we have our uh, Thanksgiving dinner giveaway where our goal is to reach out and serve over 200 families this year. And we also have our Put A Smile on child Space uh, that's coming up in the month of December where we are going to be adopting children make sure they are happy for this holiday season as well. And we might as well about Pastor Mom Oliver as well as He's not cooking. I have to talk to you. I have to get you like eating I don't want you to say anything. I have to get you one eating. Okay. That's that's where I'm gonna get him. All right. Anyway, but thank you so much as well for coming. So as he comes as he prepared themselves to come at this time, I would like everyone to clap their hands. As pastor Robert Bowen coming I mean, this time to be a better part of the conversation experience, amen? I amen. Oh, uh, also, he, a, uh, he says he plays basketball. I don't know why he believes he played basketball. But I'm going to have to go and see him on the court. And yes, yeah, you too, pastor Norman, yeah, as well. Yeah, you want to come sit down? All right, come I'm I'm sit down and talk to him as well. All right, come on, clap your hands at
1: Hello, everyone. Hello. I am so excited
0: to be here and thankful for the opportunity uh, to share uh, in this experience to, to This afternoon, I'm excited uh, to be here with Elder uh, Carlton. Can we thank God for him today? And, and, uh, we have been connected for a long, long time, long, long, long. and uh, he has always been a servant, he has never changed, amen, amen. And so I am um, just excited to be here, and just happy that uh, God is using him in this way, and I certainly um, want him to know that he is loved, and God has a wonderful and amazing plan for his life, alright, I want you to know that the kingdom needs more people like right? Uh, over Carlton, and uh, if we had more people like him, we wouldn't be in the bad shape that we're in these days. Uh, amen. amen. I also want to thank God for Bishop Scott, Amen, for, uh,
1: for just being here today. And uh, just as you were mentioning yesterday about our team night, you know, I remember when you were a youth
0: pastor a youth leader. And uh, I was one of those kids in your youth ministry. Uh, and I am uh, here today because of your work in
1: the kingdom. Uh, so I want to honor you today. Amen. I'm excited to be here. And I want you to, um, to prepare yourself for uh, this presentation. When I asked uh, Elder Carlton uh, how much time I had, he told me an hour and a half. And there's just no way I'm
0: going to be up here an hour and a half. So uh, I'm going to give you some of your time back today uh, so that uh, we'll have time to reflect on all that we
1: have learned today. All right. So I want to look at the gospel of John chapter six uh, for our scripture of focus today. Uh, I am a preacher. I'm not going to preach today, uh, but everything that we do is on the foundation of the word of God. All right. So I want to
0: read to you what the Bible says in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can
1: turn to it. If not, you can just jot it down and take a look at it later. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he says that the disciples gathered all the leftovers and let nothing be wasted. If I I had to put a title on this, I would like to call this being a part of an out-of-the-box ministry culture. Mm -hmm. When we talk about ministry culture, I want to talk about being a part of an out-of-the-box ministry culture. Um, I've heard a story of a man who went and spent a lot of money buying gifts for all of his nieces and nephews. They came over to his house on Christmas, He had all of the gifts wrapped beautifully and professionally. And all his nieces and nephews, they opened the box. They opened the box. They saw the gifts. They were excited about the gifts. And uh, the uncle went about his way to enjoy the rest of the family's Christmas celebration. A little later on in the day, uh, he heard some commotion uh, in the basement and decided to go down to see what was going on. And when he went downstairs, to his surprise, his nieces and nephews, had taken the gifts out of the boxes, and they were playing with the boxes. They were sliding down the stairs of the basement in the boxes that the gifts came in. And most of us in the church are just merely playing with the boxes, and we've never actually opened the things that are on the inside. So many of us literally are doing ministry in the box when God has called us to do so much more. Now, before we talk about getting out of the box, let's talk about what the box is. Uh, This is important because if I'm gonna get out of the box, I have to understand what that box is. That box is our comfort, it is our preferences, our traditions that have not uh, brought us the fruit that they should produce, predictability, is a box that we find ourselves in. And I always love the first century church. Whenever we start to ask ourselves, what should the church be doing? What should the church be going? We have to go back to the first century church. And this is the reason why the first century church was so powerful and also so important for us is because they did not have a box They did not have a system of order or rules or uh, guidelines on what they were supposed to do. Uh, They had to literally trust Holy Spirit led leadership to guide them on how to build the church. The first century church did out of the the box ministry because they never, they did not have a box, they didn't have a church to fall back on. They they had to find creative and innovative ways to reach the world that God had called them to evangelize. Remember this, the church is supposed to depend on Holy Spirit-led leadership. If you remember when they were finding the next tier of leaders that were served in the church, the Bible says that the directive was to go find people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. They are led of the Holy Spirit because you cannot serve on a church team and a church culture without being led of the Holy Spirit. Many times we pick people to be on the team based on their knowledge, based on their expertise, based on their competence, uh, sometimes based on their tenure. But the number one qualifying quality of a person who serves in the ministry is they have to be led of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because there's not going to always be a rule on what to do. You have to have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to guide you along the way. This is what we need in our churches and on our teams today. In today's church, we we have abandoned the mandate to reach the world because it's just much
2: easier to have church. Wow.
1: It's just much easier and it requires less of us to have church than it is to actually reach the world. You know, he can have some good church. All you got to do is get a hot song, a few cliches, and a preacher, if he got a good voice, or he or she have a good voice and they can holler, we can have some good hot church. And here's the thing, we all love some good hot church. I know I do. Uh, but listen to this. Uh, the truth is, if we're having hot church, but the community and the world around us is going to hell, what is the purpose of it? Listen to this. It is so easy to have church, especially in the city of Detroit. I mean, you can just go down the street and walk in any church and people know how to have church. But it requires out-of-the-box ministry and out-of-the-box culture and people who think outside the box to actually be and to actually do what Jesus had in mind when he instituted the church. We, we are, uh, well, the question is, why are there so few of us doing ministry out of the box? Or why, why so few of us have a culture of, of out-of-the-box ministry? Because in order to do out-of-the-box ministry, we have to deal with things that make church people feel uncomfortable. We have to do things that make church people feel uncomfortable. Out-of-the-box ministry is about reaching the world with the message and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And when you start trying to do that, when you start trying to reach the world, it's going to make church people feel uncomfortable. Let me just say this. If you do not believe me, all you got to do is ask Jesus himself. Here is the thing about the ministry of Jesus. Learn this not from me not from bishop scott not from whoever your favorite pastor or spiritual leader is learn this from jesus wow. in order to reach the loss you have to make the found uncomfortable wow. wow i wish i had time to talk about that let me just say this if church people feel comfortable that probably means we're not reaching people who are not from church because what makes us comfortable what makes us feel good is not what a person who does not know anything about church or anything about God feels that, that what makes us feel good does not make them feel good. Now, all you got to do is just think about the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus never had a problem with a person on the street. Mm, right. He never, you can
2: read the entirety of the ministry of Jesus. Good. All of his
1: yeah. problems came from religious, what we would call church
2: people. The
1: Bible says these wow. words, the common man heard him glad." Mm-hmm. You remember they came up to Jesus one day and said, they didn't come up to him, they came to his disciples and said, why does your teacher hang out with these type of people? Right. Why, why does your teacher spend his time around drugs and gluttons and tax collectors and people that are not from the
2: way? Listen to this. Maybe the reason why Jesus was around them is because he didn't, he, they didn't make him feel comfortable in the church. hmm I think we we think a lot about how
1: uh, uh, people in the world don't feel comfortable in church. And we forget Jesus wasn't welcome in church. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about this. But remember these words. If we are not making church people feel uncomfortable, then we're not creating a culture where real ministry can take place. Part of our job is to make comfortable people feel uncomfortable and to make uncomfortable people feel comfortable. Let me talk about that a little bit. When when we stand to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we stand to welcome people into the house of God, if, if a person that has been going to church doesn't feel a little bit uncomfortable because somebody may have come in that don't look like a church person. That's challenging that person to think about how they, the, the kind of culture that they are creating or they, that they desire to create. There is something interesting to know here, and it is a caution to caution those of us who truly want to be a part of a culture of out-of-the-box ministry. And that is to be careful. Watch this. We have to be careful because out-of-the-box ministry always exposes the Pharisees. I wish I had time to talk about this. If you want to expose those with a Pharisee mentality, then do out-of-the-box ministry. Out-of-the-box ministry will always expose you to the people around you who really don't care nothing about most people. I wish I had time to talk about this. Doing out-of-the-box ministry will expose who really don't care about healthy marriages, who really does not care about holistic ministry. And sometimes, watch this. You got to be able to understand how to the, how to expose the people in your culture who are not there for the main the main mandate of the Church of Jesus Christ, which is to reach the lost. And, and I think that's why it is so important to talk about evangelism in these types of settings, yeah. because we are called. We are here to evangelize. We're here to go out into the world. I hear people all the time talking about the world, the world, the world, the world. And I don't think we realize that the scripture says, but God so loved the world. See, we don't understand when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about the systems of the world. When the Bible says we're not to be friends of the world, it's not talking about the people. It's talking about the systems of the world. We are here for the world. That's our purpose. The world is our mission field and we have to make sure that we're in the community, we're in the lives of people, and when people come into the church, uh, we make people who don't know nothing about church, uh, the purpose is to make them feel comfortable because, listen to me, the Word is going to do the convicting. I wish I had time to talk about that. We should be doing, the Word should be doing the convicting, not the usher on the door. I wish I had time to talk about that. So listen to this. Out of the box ministry will expose the Pharisees. This is why Jesus always had issues with the religious leaders of the time because he was always doing something that was out of the box. One of the most high-opening scriptures for me is when Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. Yeah. And the man went carrying his name. This was a man that people in the community knew. And when they saw him, they did not say what a great thing you've been healed. The first thing that they noticed is you carrying your bed on the
2: Sabbath. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: The first thing that they noticed was not that he had experienced a healing, mm-hmm. that he had come into the power of God. But the first thing that they noticed is that you're breaking a room. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Listen to this. Jesus, let, let me get through this. Jesus, without question, is our greatest example of what it means to cultivate and be a part of a ministry culture. I want you all to listen to this. Jesus is the greatest ministry strategist you're going to find anywhere. Yes, sir. It's not your favorite pastor. It's not the church conference that you go to, which you should go to. But the greatest person who can teach us about ministry and about culture and about reaching people is Jesus Christ himself. The one thing I love about the feeding of the 5,000 is that if you look not just beneath the surface, but even on the surface in plain sight, this is a strategy and this is a template for how to do ministry. I want you to pay attention to what he does in this particular text. Before I get to that, let, let, me, just look, let me just go a little bit further about Jesus being a ministry revolutionary. Jesus violated all current religious rules and regulations in order to reach people. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is follow the ministry of Jesus. You remember when Jesus went to the woman at the well? We know that Jesus was there by himself. When the woman showed up, it was just saying and Jesus. He wasn't supposed to be there with her. He was not supposed to be talking to her because he was a rabbi yeah. and she was a woman of sin.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: Jesus knew that even his disciples would not even be able to handle that encounter, so he sent them away. And when they and listen, when the disciples came yeah. back, yeah. they said, "What you doing for? They, listen, God said they thought it. Yeah. They thought in their mind he's supposed to be talking to her, right? yeah. but nobody said anything." Right? Yeah. Yeah. Listen to me, because Jesus was always written through, because he was trying to expose the Pharisees. My Lord. And I need you to understand this: you cannot create a true culture in your church without exposing the Pharisees. Mm. Without exposing those who are part of the culture that really do not want to see the church being who the church is supposed to be. And that's why Jesus did certain things to expose the heart of those in the culture who did not embrace the call that Jesus had. Jesus also taught us that reaching people is always more important than the rules. Reaching people is always more important than the rules. And listen to this, the church has continued to make rules that God did not make, and those rules cause the church to live in a box. Now let me talk about this. Because this is important. We create rules because we're trying to keep the church in order. Mm-hmm. Many times the things that we've come up with across the history of the church that have become our cultural norms, they were things that were needed for the church to be effective in that time and yes. that era. Yes. And then we adopted it as law right. and said it has to be this way. She was cooking roast and she was teaching her daughter how to cook the roast. And she said, You gotta make sure you cut the back piece of the roast off. All right. All right. And she said, You gotta cut that back piece off. And the granddaughter said, Well, she, she was trying to teach her her daughter. She said, Why do you have to cut it off? And this is what she said. She said, that's what my grandmama taught me, and that's what her mama taught her. So she went back and asked her grandmama. But the 14, you already know that this was a terrible day in the life of Jesus. This was the day that he got word that John the Baptist was dead. As a matter of fact, Jesus really wasn't trying to be around people on this day. Right. He went to a solitary place to be by himself. Yeah. But the Bible says they found him. Yeah. They found him, and he was moved with compassion. That yeah. even though Jesus was dealing with something on his own, his compassion would not allow him to just focus on himself. But he got up and he went to minister to the people. Jesus looked, he saw the great crowd coming towards him. He says to Philip, watch, this, watch what Jesus said. He looks at Philip, hey, what's going to about bread, let me people?" Watch what verse 6 says. He asked him to test him because he already knew what he had in mind. The reason why I love this is because Jesus is testing the people in his culture. He's testing the mindset of his disciples. If I, if I come to y'all and say, hey, what, what are we going to do about this? just to see, what would you say? What would you, what what ideas would you come up with? What is your mentality? Philip answered, watch this, it would take more than a half years away just to buy enough bread for these people to have just come alive. Listen to me, Philip thinking about money. Mm -hmm. Philip is thinking about how we're going to finance this vision. Another of the disciples, watching this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, there's a boy here who has five old barley loaves, and two fish. But listen to what he said. But how far are they going to go among so many? Right. He yeah. has a scarcity of God. Watch this. Jesus is assessing this hope. He's trying to assess what's going on with these people. Let me tell you what I love about Andrew. Mm-hmm. The Bible said that they went out in the crowd to see what was in the crowd. Andrew comes back and says, what we found was a book that two nations I was bread. If that was some of us, we would have came back and said, we didn't find
2: nothing.
1: But Andrew was so in tune with who Jesus was. He said, this don't seem like nothing, but I'm going to take it to him anyway. Because I believe that maybe, just maybe, he can do something with this. And Andrew, listen to me, church, show something that we must have that we're going to be a part of a team of and a culture. And we must be able to believe that God can do something with a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Let, let me get through here. Jesus said, watch this, have the people sit down. Everybody listen to that. Have the people sit down. That's now, good. you you heard That's what people said, right? Yeah. It was 5,000 men. Yeah. They believed that it was at least as many rich women and children right. as there were men. That's right. That's right. So that means we got, 15, we got a crowd of 15,000 people mm-hmm. and 12 people trying to organize 15,000 people. Wow. Imagine the time that it took to get all of those people sent out. One, one of the accounts of their he told them, "Get a groups of 50 and right. no. 11. Now sometimes, watch this, you come out to use your sanctified imagination. Imagine a board in the crowd trying to count the 50. Okay, 50 over here, 100 over here, or somebody come back and count. Okay, it's so only 49. Who made this through? This show group, it's 49 people. I need somebody from this group to come sit over here with this group. I, I ain't trying to sit no group of 50 people. Can you imagine the nuances? Yeah, yeah. The nuances of trying to organize a crowd of 15,000 people. Remember this, that order and structure is always the prerequisite for a move of God. Mm, yeah, you can't have a move of God where there's no order. He said, tell everybody to sit down. Watch this. And they, 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 they said there was much grass in that place. They sat down. Jesus took the loaves. He gave thanks. Watch this. He distributed it to them. They sat down. to eat as much as they wanted. And the same with the fish. Now, I want to point something out. When you read Matthew chapter 14, watch this. You will read in verse 15. I ain't got time to go to it, but write it down. You, you will notice that the disciples tried to put Jesus in a box. The disciples told Jesus, send these people away that's right. I want you to listen to this. These people have sat outside in a mountain and listened to Jesus' preach all day long. And the Bible says that the disciples are telling Jesus, see these people away because, if this is what they said, because if they stay too long, we might going to have to If these right. people stay right there too long, he said, let them go out into the villages to find some food for themselves. And let me tell you, church, they were trying to put, listen to this, they were trying to give Jesus a bad reputation. And how many times have the disciples of Jesus, watch this, put Jesus in a bad place, Gave, given Jesus a poor reputation, but Jesus refused to be put in the box and displays for us what it, what it means, what, what's a thought pattern, what's the, what's the processing of a person who has been called to be a part of an out-of-the-box ministry culture. Now, I'm almost finished, I really am, but I want to take a few moments to give you some keys from this text about what out-of-the-box ministry is all about. Here it is, the first thing you've got to understand is that ministry is about more than preaching. Yes, sir.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you're going to be a part of an out-of-the-box ministry culture, ministry is about more than preaching. Mm. Now this is what you got to understand. Jesus is the speaker at the Mm revival.
2: He's
1: not me. Jesus is the preacher. And Jesus is saying I have to give these people something more than just the word. I've got to give them something that they can take from here that, can, that, that will make this a memorable experience from, for them beyond just the word. I remember remember this. when one of her bishops talking about? If you give somebody a box of formula, if you give a mother in need a case of diapers, she's going to remember that experience. Listen to me. If you give somebody, if somebody pulls up to the church and somebody greets them outside and don't shamble them to death, but they just say hello to them and they welcome them and they say, "Hey, do you like basketball?" They will remember that. They they will never forget that. They will leave with a piece of something in their soul that reminded them of of, there's a place somewhere where somebody treated me kindly somebody did something for me. And let me tell you something. When you can be a part of a culture that shares the love of Jesus Christ in a tangible way, let me tell you something. That blows people's mind. Generosity, no matter how big or small it is, it blows people's mind. You know why? Because we know how selfish human beings are. We are
2: human beings.
1: We know that our mindset is on my own and no more. So when somebody goes within their resources, To turn around and do something for me, that automatically says, wait a minute. That that's surprising, that's shocking because I know that human beings are going into self-preservation mode. And for you to go beyond yourself and to do something for me, that's a miracle. Can you imagine? Listen to me. So we went down in that church. Now you ain't gonna believe it. They had the best fish challenges we ever heard. Yeah. Watch the church. And people come back to Jesus. Yeah. I want you to know this. The Bible says the people came back, and Jesus looked at them and said, Y'all back and tell us the most fish challenge. Listen to, sandwiches. Okay? Mm-hmm. Listen to me, church. But I'm gonna tell you all this. It is what we give people beyond the sermon that opens up the door for us to give them the bread of life. Yes, sir. I wish I had yes. time to talk about this. I, I had a lady that come up to me. But it was a group of people that walked up to me after service. And we had had a, a special day. And uh, it was the past anniversary Sunday. And um, uh, it was, uh, I, I have no shame in my game. We had crab legs since the past anniversary because I won crab legs. All right. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, you right. I'll get one Sunday to get for my anniversary. And I can sell that out of hell, but I won't on my anniversary. That's <laughs> right. So I told the committee, I won't crab legs. So we went to one of our partners. listened to me, and we had crab legs after service. It was a wonderful service. And about five weeks later, about five weeks later, a woman walked up to me with about six people, and she—I was standing there praying for people at the service, and she walked up to me and she said, "I want to tell you something, Pastor." I said, "Yes." She said, "The first time I came, we came for the crab legs, but every other week since, we came for the word." Wow! Wow! Yes, sir! Wow! And I want you to understand when we go beyond just preaching yeah. and give people something that makes them never forget what happened in this place. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget what they did for me. Something small, listen to me, church. Something that may not mean a lot to a lot of people, but it meant something to me. And that's what made me want to come back and learn about the God that I serve. Number two, assessing, watch this, but not allowing what you assess to dictate your faith. Uh, the the box ministry culture includes assessments, but, but you cannot allow what you assess to dictate your faith. I want you to listen to me. What do we have here? We have a boy here who has two fish, and he has five loaves of bread. Yeah. Listen to this. You cannot have a healthy ministry culture until you at least assess where you are. <laughs> assess where you stand. Assess what your resources are. Assess listen to me church, what you are starting with you got to assess, where are we? Where, what, who can we reach right now? What are we doing right now? If you're a ministry that you are a ministry over, that you serve in, you have to assess so that you can know where you started. What, what we, the, the man went up there in the crowd, the angel went out the crowd and came back and said, okay, this we did the assessment of the crowd, and here is what we found, two fish and five loaves of bread. And listen to these words. What you assess is not your limitation; it's your starting point. Wow! <laughs> I wish I had time to talk about this. What I assess is not my—it's not my limits; it's my launching yeah. pad. And many times we get discouraged by what we pick up in the assessment. But you got to know where you start at. You got to know what what you started with. I grew up. With, I used to hear somebody say about this: "You got to give God something to work with." What you have, and what you get received from your assessment, is what you work with. It is not your limits, it is where you're launching from. But you've got to have assessment if you're going to truly become an impactful ministry culture. Number three, understand that life is the greatest producer of out of the box ministry. Now, watch this. If they hadn't out of the crowd and found enough fish and bread to feed everybody, there would have been no miracle the reason why a miracle was necessary was because there was lack lack is what produced the opportunity for a miracle and a move of God and let me tell you something that I have learned on my pastoral journey Mm -hmm. I have learned that nothing makes you more creative than Mm -hmm. lack nothing makes you think harder and pray harder than not having enough Right. Because listen to me, church, when you look at your limitations, it causes you to think more deeply about what you're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Right. About how you're gonna do it, about what your priorities are. Listen to this. Let me tell you this. If all you got, if you got a bunch, if you got a bunch, you got options. But when you only have a little bit to work with, mm-hmm. it makes you be a better steward over what you have. Yeah. I wish I had somebody you know what I was talking about. I know some of y'all don't know about this, but I know this ain't your reality. But you know how when you first get paid? When you first get paid, listen, whatever, whatever's available, whatever you want, that's what you're going to need on that day. When your check checking the cops, I know y'all don't know about this, but y'all don't live like this, but for some people, that's watching you're listen to this, you know on your payday, you eat what you want on your payday. Absolutely. Listen, it's paid. I'm going to give you a steak, but that's what I want. But the day before payday, I wish I had a church. you got to get a little bit innovative on the day before payday. You say, okay, what am I okay. What am I to a little bit more careful. I wish I had a church. you be at the middle, be, 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 be like, okay, I can't get that. Then that adds up to, hold on. three seventy nine, About Right. For 379. America. <laughs> you know, here's what I want you to understand that. Life makes you think harder. Life makes you more intentional. Listen to me, church. I have been blessed uh, to be able to I uh, pastor of a wonderful church called Central Baptist Church, and a lot of times, you know, I've been, I've been pastor in this church now for nine years, and I thank God for my journey and all that God has done,
2: and God has done some amazing things, and uh, people see what God has
1: done, and they say that's awesome, but they don't understand I started with nothing, mm. but let me tell you something. Laugh made me more intentional about what I could do. It made me pray more. It made me seek God's help. Watch this. Let me just tell you this. The fact that they didn't find enough is what made them come to Jesus and say, what can you do with this? Wow. I wish I had time to talk about this. What? Sometimes when you don't have enough, don't you talk to Jesus about it? Mm-hmm. In- of- but when you don't have enough. That's when you need God to give you some direction and some guidance to say, Lord, this is all I have. Teach me how to use this for your glory and for your honor. Watch this. Number four, knowing that ministry always starts with what you have. Listen, that's a segue from, from the third point to the fourth point. Ministry always starts with what you have. Remember this about God. God always starts with what you already have in your possession, and sometimes we can get so caught up in what we don't have mm-hmm. that we miss the miracle that what we do have. Listen to this: when you're going to be a part of an out-of-the-box ministry culture, you have got to realize God can take what I have and He can do something amazing with it. God can do something amazing with this little two fish mm-hmm. and this little this, this five slices of bread that I've got. It. If I give this to the Lord, God can do something with this. Oh, yeah. Cultivating the out-of-the-box ministry culture is about reminding yourself. It is about never forgetting that what I have is enough for God to do something with yes, Lord. It's enough for us to use to do something amazing for God's kingdom. Number five, that the out-of-the-box ministry does not mean out of the Yeah, out-of-the-box ministry does not mean out-of-order. I want you all to listen to this. Uh, There's a book that that I read years ago. It's it's, it's one of the most impactful books that I've ever read. It's called Orbiting the Giant Okay, It's called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And uh, what the book is about, it's a creative book. It's written by uh, the former creative uh, director of Hallmark Cards. He was the creative director that came up with the strategies and game plan for Hallmark Cards and his book is called Orbiting the Giant Hairball. And the hairball represents the system and the norms of order, okay? Imagine a ball of hair,
2: okay? That's what the hairball, it it represents the system of how things operate, about how things go.
1: And he he makes this argument, this is the argument of the book, you cannot abandon the hairball because if you go too far from the hairball, then you will get into a space where you are disconnected from, from origin. You're disconnected from what is right. But you also can't live in the hairball. Because living in the hairball will limit what you can do. So he he introduces this concept of orbiting the hairball. Of staying attached to the hairball. But being far enough from the hairball where you're not limited by the hairball. The reason why that's important is because as a church, we can't just do anything. Okay? We do have to stay connected to the word of God. We do have to stay connected to uh, what the true identity of the church. But we cannot let people limit us to what has been done. Because my Bible tells me God wants to do a new thing. Mm-hmm. So what I got to do is make sure I stay attached. I got to stay attached. I can't just do anything that I want to do. I got to stay attached to what God has said. But I cannot let people create a ball that, that makes me stay blind to what is going on outside of the hairball outside of what is going on, and so I gotta be out of the box, but I can't be out of order. Yeah. I wish I had time to talk about this. I gotta be out of the box, but I can't just make up anything. I can't just get up in the pulpit and say, "I'm just gonna start talking." No, you gotta get something out of this book. I wish I had the church to do <laughs> I can't just get up here and be like, "You know, I, I want to talk to y'all about flowers today."
2: <laughs>
1: and you know, the flowers is this. No, no, I have to make sure that I'm, I'm attached. I'm attached to. The, 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 the standard, but I also have to make sure that I don't let anybody put me in a box. And then i close with this. Number six, if you are going to be a part of the out-of-the-box ministry, be prepared for what God wants to do. Be prepared for what God wants to do. Listen to these words. He already knew what he was going to do. Let me, let me reiterate these points for you. First of all, you got to understand that ministry is about more than preaching. you got to learn how to assess, but do not allow your assessment to dictate your faith. Remember, it's not my limits, it's my logic pad. I have to understand that lack is the greatest producer of my revocity ministry. When I don't have enough, that's what forces me to be more intentional, more prayerful, and more innovative and creative about what I do. Yes, sir. Number four, knowing that ministry always starts with what I have. My, whatever God's going to do in my life is going to start with what I already possess. And what I have is enough for God to work with. I understand that out-of-the-box ministry does not have to be out of order. I still got to stay connected. Mm-hmm. I still got to stay attached to what God uh, God's word says. And I got to make sure that I don't go too far off the path that I'm so far that nobody even knows what I'm doing or where I'm from. But I also have to be prepared for what God wants to do. Let me tell you something. You are never going to find more closed-minded people than you're going to find in church.
2: Ooh, Jesus. I'm trying to tell you. We
1: are so close-minded, right. and I have to say this: as pastors and as leaders in the church, we will be held accountable for letting people limit God to what they think. If we sit up in the pulpit as the person who's supposed to be the pastor, supposed to be the spiritual leader, supposed to be on assignment from God, and we let people limit. The move of God to what they think is possible in their minds—that's a neglect of our being. Right. It's a neglect of our sight. The Bible says Jesus knew what He wanted to do. Imagine if Jesus had said, "Okay, Philip, we ain't got enough money. Cool, let's go home." Wow! Imagine, listen to me, church. If the other disciples said, what, "What? Where are these going to go in front of so many?" You're right, man. It ain't enough. Go tell the people go home, home. Jesus. Is the leader of these disciples. It's his job to challenge their faith. It's his job to make them to see, to help them to see beyond where they are. It's his job. He is the leader for a reason. Jesus is the leader of the disciples because he's trying to train them, because they gotta take the church home when he ascends to heaven. And I've got to make sure that they understand that I'm trying to do something. And sometimes we forget to tell people that Jesus is trying to do something here. He already knows what he wants to do. And sometimes in our cultures, in our church cultures, we never ask the question, what might Jesus want to do here? Wow. I know what you want to do. And I know what you want to do. And I heard what you want to do. But have we paused to ask ourselves, maybe Jesus wants to do something here? Can I tell you something? He already knows what he wants to do in your ministry. He already knows what he wants to do with the with Congress of Service, with Word Restoration. With God has a plan for your ministry. And we go, if we're going to create a culture, there has to be an openness. Not just to what we want, but there has to be an openness to what God wants to do. Remember this. If Jesus had been what the disciples wanted, they would have sent the people away hungry. And at some point, you've got to ask yourself this question: Do you want to do what God wants done? Or do you want to do what you want done? Or do you want to do what makes people feel comfortable? Mm-hmm. Listen to me, I, I want to close with this. We're living in a time, in this era that we live in. We live in an era where there's a negative view of the church, mm-hmm. okay? We live in an era where pastors don't even want to say they're pastors. Mm-hmm. What you do for them, I work for a nonprofit? Right, <laughs> right, <laughs> Nonprofit. Because you don't even want to say you're a pastor. Because as soon as you say you're a pastor, as Bishop Scott said, they think you're a thief. They think you're a pedophile. Listen to me, church, they, they think you, you, you're, you're not approachable. They think that you're arrogant, that you're harmless. We're living in a time Listen to me, in a culture where there is no appreciation for the church. And I hear people saying that all the time. People don't think church the law. And we say that, but most of it is our fault, right? Because guess what? We don't went up in our buildings and said, this is our social club. Yep. This for us. This is where we make ourselves feel important. Because yep. it. Yep. Yep. Now, realizing that "deacon" me don't mean power, we serve it means servant. Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. deacon don't mean sit on the front door with your tie. Deacon mean go downstairs and mop the floor. Right,
6: right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I wish I had a church deacon what I was talking about. Yeah. You do know that the scriptures that we get deacon from came from a text about servant not being in charge. That's right. 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 The role of a deacon, listen to me, church, the court, we if Acts 6 is our foundation, the role of a deacon is to make sure that people were being served, That's make sure that people were not being neglected, to be That's served right. in the tables. I wish I had a church. And let me tell you something, Newport Church deacons don't serve tables <laughs> right. in the red. They point fingers. how do we get here? How do we get from serving the tables to make sure that wonderful people were not being neglected to now we in charge? It was never supposed to be that way. And then we sit up and we wonder why people have a negative view of church. Listen to this. We've created a box. we created our own box. The church is our box. It's our sphere of influence. It's where we have power. It's where we do what we want to do. It's where we come in and feel important. If there's no other place that I can go and feel powerful, listen to me. I can go to church and feel powerful because I don't feel powerful at home. Right. <laughs> My kids don't listen to me. But when I come to church, I feel powerful. Right. Because i believe mm-hmm. a in the church. Right. Mm-hmm. And we have created a box. And then when people come from the outside and walk in the doors of the church, listen to me, and they don't fit in our box. Right. They don't dress like us. Mm-hmm. They don't talk like us. They don't walk like us. And then as soon as they come in, this is what we do. We start training them to act like us. Yeah. The Bible says you go a thousand miles to recruit a disciple. And as soon as you get one, you turn it into ten, ten times as much of the devil as you are. Wow. Because when people come to church, we train them to be like us. Let me come on from here so we can show you how we act in this box. Mm. Let me train you about
0: how we do things here. Instead of sitting down listening to them.
1: Because we're here to serve them. And so here's the thing, y'all. We've got two choices. It's just this simple. Either we're going to stay in our box and let a generation die and go to hell. It's just this simple. It's not about pews, It's not about names. It's not about buildings. It's not about bulletins. It has nothing to do with that. It's whether or not we're going to be so committed to what we want that we're okay Generation not knowing God and dying and not going to purgatory, going to hell. Or we're going to say, I'm going to get out of this box, listen to this, and whoever that has to expose, they just have to be exposed. Listen to me so that a generation can come to know the
2: Lord.
1: And I want you to listen to me. The culture that exists in our churches have never been more important than they are today. Because even if you get somebody to come in the door, they already come in with a negative mindset about church. They come in reluctant. They come in, let me tell you something. We live in a world, listen to this, where negative stuff about church is on people's social media timelines every day. day. And when you see it come up, it's the first thing you see. Go to the comment. See, that's why I don't the first thing that they said. You have never heard about it say, see, that's why I'm going to Walmart. Mm-hmm. But it says, see, that's why I'm going to church. And it's never been more important. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. It's never been more important than it is today. Than to know what people are going to experience when they walk in the doors of our church. Mm-hmm. There was a story told about, this is a, a real story about a woman who came to the church. She said she came reluctant. She said she woke up in the morning and she was going through something really difficult in her life, and she said, she must she, she up the courage and said, I'm going to go to church. She had feelings about church, but, but listen to me, God had touched her heart, and she said, I'm going to go to church. She walked to the church, and because this was her first time being there in a long time, she, 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 she was a little uncomfortable, and the church had a balcony, and she wanted to go sit in the balcony because she wanted to be there, but she was a little uncomfortable, so she wanted a little bit of of, of distance to get make herself a little more comfortable. And she went to go open the door to go in the balcony and they told her, you can't sit up there. And she says, well, okay. And then she went and said somewhere else and they told her, Oh, you can't sit there either. So then she goes back out of the lobby to try to regroup to see what she's going to do. And she sees another gentleman who comes into the church. He goes to try to sit in the balcony as well. She saw him, a them, she told him, Well you can't sit there. We can't sit in the balcony. And then, listen to me, the two of them walked out of the door together. Because we had a church rule that said, you can't sit here and you can't sit there. Mm. Wow. And a
2: woman who came looking for Jesus. Wow. When she came looking for a relationship, Mm.
1: she encountered a rule. She encountered a rule. And she walked back out the door. And there's never been a time. Where it is more important than ever before to ask ourselves this question: What type of culture is in our churches? Mm-hmm. We have to ask. What is the culture? The culture. Listen to me. Is the is is the is the smell of your church, mm-hmm. not your cologne, what you really smell like. Mm-hmm. And if there is no intentional effort being put into what the culture is, then that means you probably got a bad culture. Because good things don't happen without effort. And we have to ask ourselves that question. When somebody walks into my church, what's the culture that they experience? As Bishop Scott said, when you walk into church, you, you can't have a kind, loving pastor and mean people. The spirit of the pastor has to be on the people. And sometimes the people mean because the bathroom me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I have to ask myself, what is the culture of my church? When people walk in the door, do they experience love? Are they embraced? Are they judged? Are they forced to fit into a box that we have created, or do we have a culture that is the opposite of what a person would experience if they came in contact with Jesus? Do, my, do people come in my church experience something different than what they experience when they encounter Jesus? It's just that simple. All right, any questions? Yes.
4: Thank you, Pastor This has been uh, so good for especially myself still being a pastor almost two years in. Mm-hmm. My question is, uh, what do you do to shift the culture? Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the example you gave literally just a month ago happened in my church. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, I don't know on if getting camera or what, but nobody except for the deacons on the left side sit on the front row. The other two front rows, the other two sections are, no one's never stood there except for a funeral since I've been there. Mm-hmm. And I had someone, a young man, probably 20, 21 maybe, uh, come in, he goes to Wayne State. Uh, not his first time being there, but he came into the church, had a t-shirt, jeans, and came and sat on the front row of the church. Service are already going on. And a member got up and went over to them. I'm reading this from happening. And so many words told them, you can't sit here and he got to move and so he looked like what and so I made contact with him told him you're fine stay there how do we shift this culture when it is you know like you, said, you can't be mean to the people or you don't want that spirit to develop in your church uh, how do we shift this culture's mindset that's been in place uh, for so long my church is 79 years old uh, how do we shift this mindset of culture in the church uh, where, you know, you, you have people that serve you, uh, you, know, but you may say, well, you know, yeah, I can take them out of that role or that place and then they'd be empty, but then there's, you know, you care about the person too. Would may mm-hmm. be all they know who's serving that role? How do you shift culture at the same time, be mindful of the people
1: too? Well, I think the first thing is to always do everything from a place of compassion even when you're dealing with people that you don't always agree with. You know, as a pastor, of the, being a pastor is a tender touch. It's a heart that you have. Right. And you have a heart even for people that you may not agree with. Right. You know, I can't be in the church treating people like dirt because I don't agree with them. I'm a pastor. Right. Right. The Bible says we to right be an example where we live, and all the lists that, that Paul gave Timothy. And so we start with compassion. But in that situation, I think what you did was the right thing. You go to the person after service is over and say, hey, You know, I see that you were trying to sit here and then, you know, I I apologize if it makes you feel any type of way. You know, we want you to, I want you to personally know that you're welcome here, blah, 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 blah. But the next thing that you have to do is you have to challenge people through the Word of God. Okay? This, you can't challenge people through what you think. It has to be through the Word of God. I will never forget when I became the pastor of my church nine years ago, Pastor Curtis Grant came to be a part of my installation. This is what he told me. He said, the greatest power you have in your church is the power to preach. He said, they can tell you what you cannot do, can't do this, can't do that. He said, the well, one thing that's going to happen is every Sunday you're going to get 30 minutes, 45 minutes to open up that Bible and to preach the Word of God. People change through the Word of God. Yeah. Not because of what you say. Okay? They change because you teach them the Word of God. The Bible says that when you come into the house of God, don't show nobody favor when they come in. If a man comes in and he got on a nice suit, don't tell him to come up to the front because he got on a nice suit. Right. The Bible said don't do that. Yeah. So, so what you do is you show them in the Word of God. And people who are truly impressionable by the Scriptures, they will change. Mm-hmm. And the ones who won't, they're not like you. they part the Bible. Because here's the thing that I have learned, especially in your context and very similar to mine. That at the end of the day, you, you never know who, what God's going to do with who at church. Sometimes you come in trying to figure out who the enemies are. You don't know who the enemies are. Right. You don't know who the people that's good or who not go with you because it changes over time. I want you to have time to talk about it. <laughs> okay. There are people that come in in any type of sure. church looking at dumb hope for you. They want all this past. I'll up on And, and listen to those people. When you need them, they'll turn on you. And then vice some. Maybe some people that may have some protection. And they really just try to protect the church Absolutely. because they don't know you like that yet. Right. Right. And, and they don't mean no harm, but, they're, but the, the spirit and the power of God can move them. And so... The greatest thing you have is the power to preach. Mm-hmm. And I believe this in my very soul. You cannot play with the whole day. Right. Absolutely. The preaching hour has to be taken seriously. Yes, sir. And it's not just about entertaining and pumping people up. It's about discipling people. Mm-hmm. And you can't always preach a sermon because it's going to make them twirl around and, and do cartwheels. Sometimes you have to say, OK, let's, let's see what the word of God says about this and about that. And, and as you teach them the word of God, people will change, and some people won't. But when you create a culture of love and a culture that is based on the word of God, people that's not, uh, that is not that that is not impacted by the word of God, they won't be comfortable in a culture like that. And so you don't push people away. And I, I know you didn't do that. And you don't force people to change because as you said, they that may be all they want. And sometimes they just don't understand. But tell me what Jesus said. Boom. And, and let me say one more thing. And you have to just, you know, shift that culture at a pace that they can handle. There are some things that you can do now. Some things you won't be able to do now. That's just knowing your limitations. You know, and God will God will provide opportunities for you to address things that you may not be able to address in a um, in an amicable way because it may be a landmine. Every church got landmines. And you're a crazy man if you come in messing with stuff that you shouldn't be messing with. You're to put out. <laughs> I wish I had a church <laughs> You know, so you've got, you got to know what you can do you got to know your pace, And you know that God will honor you Even if things don't are not perfect In the beginning, God will honor you it. Alright That's it, I'll talk about that all day <laughs> uh,
0: Quick question for you mm-hmm. uh, Developing chemistry with your team mm-hmm. uh, What tips would you suggest best team ever in NBA history, 2004, Detroit Business. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> chemistry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How do you develop chemistry within your team with all different types of characters, individual backgrounds, different types of hurt, different types of pain, and different types of cues, segments? How do you develop?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, um, well, I think the, the main thing is that the leader, is ultimately the person that sets the culture for the church. Okay. Second of all, there has to be a sense of commonality, what was discussed. The Bible says they had all things in common. They shared all things. Commonality is a foundational principle of a church. Okay? You cannot have a church without commonality. It's not a church. They have all things in common. That's how we, that's what makes a church so unique is because you come from here, I come from here. But when we come in here, we're a family. We're all the same. Okay? A, a, a church does not work without a sense of commonality. You can have a GED. I can have a PhD. That don't mean nothing to become here. We're all God's children. Yeah. And so I think the first thing is commonality. Second of all, it's the time that you spend with each other. You know, you have to spend time with the people that you're on the team with so y'all can get to know each other. So you can know what you like and what you don't know like, what What may be a... A, what I call a landmine for you. This offends you, so I'm not going to say that because that offends you. I'm not going to uh, you know, uh, talk to you this way because I know you've got some trauma in this area, but that only comes from time that you spend with each other. When you spend time with people that you're on a team with, you learn that, and you learn how to be in a relationship with them because you can't treat everybody the same. Like, we can talk about basketball because we like basketball. I can't just think just because somebody's a dude that they like basketball. He might not like
2: basketball but you and I can
1: connect on a level of basketball. When I go over here to this gym, he's at my politics, and I can talk to you about that. It's about uh, becoming all things to all people that I may be able to win some, and then ultimately it's about care. You have to care for people. have to genuinely love them, I don't just serve you; I care about you. Right? I care about your family, I care about your health, your mental health, your physical health, all of that. And so I think it starts with commonality, and then it, it, the, the second thing is time. It takes time to build chemistry and then a place where you genuinely care about them. And if you, if people feel cared about, them, they'll do anything in the world. Like, like official Scott said, if you give somebody uh, some, uh, a bottle of water and you help them out, the next time you ask them to help you carry five chairs, they're going to do it because they know you care about them. You yeah. know, I feel like carrying these chairs. But you know what? You know, that'll Carlton, he asked, I'm going to ahead and help them out. You, you cannot
2: lead a team without care. You cannot be a person that, that just dictates to people what to, what to do. You have to be in
1: the trenches with the people, and you have to show them that I care about you. And there very few things that somebody would, would not do for and with a person that they don't care about. Anything else? Any other comments? Anybody want to add anything? Thank you. Can we kind of do a quick prayer before we leave? Okay. Yeah. Dear God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to sit together and to, to share in your word and to see you not just a savior and friend and Lord, but to see you as leader of a team and a culture of your own. Yes, to see how you handle some of the similar things that we will encounter in this ministry, oh God. Thank you for letting us see this. Thank you for pulling the veil back and letting us see the questions that you asked your disciples. To see how you dealt with life and how you dealt with those who maybe needed a recharge in your faith, oh God. I pray right now, God, for, for this church and for every church or ministry that's represented here. Yes, Lord, our work is important. You called us to this work and you called us to this time and I pray God that we would do what is necessary to serve the time that you called us to yes. Lord I pray that you would equip us for the work of ministry yes. let us know that ministry in this era is not easy but it's probably not supposed to be it is something that requires a total dependency and reliancy on you And so, Lord, as we continue to serve in our areas, in our part of the venue that you call us to, I pray, oh God, that we would look to you for an example of how to reach people, on how to treat people, on how to embrace people, how to evangelize people, how to love people. We want to be a reflection of you. We want to be not a barrier to someone coming to know you. We want to be a pathway. By which others come into the knowledge of who you are. Because you really are the bread of life. You really are water to the thirsty. You really are the greatest thing that has ever happened to any of us, oh God. And we want to be able to share your gospel. We want to be able to spread your love to every single person that we come in contact with. Lord, we give you thanks, we give you praise, put a blessing on convener of this event, oh God. Bless him for his labor of lust. We pray that you go before him and make smooth and successful his way, oh God. Lord, bless him for his faithfulness and his example of servitude that he has shown for years and years of God. And we pray that he would know that the best is truly yet to come. We give you thanks. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you all for having me. Thank you, Pastor.